up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast, episode 37. I'm cranking them out. <laughs> Full length episode this time. Another interview. Been working on this one for a while, and I'm really excited to share it with you guys. In having the conversation about uh, the erosion of trust between the Chiefs mess and the entities that they interact with, mainly Junior Enlisted, but also the wardroom and everyone really. Uh, I I was exploring a way after the Reddit thread that we did to uh, approach this topic in a, in a meaningful way. Uh, I wanted to dive pretty deep, but I also wanted to make sure that I did it in a way that it was, I, I guess, gave it the attention it deserved, took the time to tackle the conversation in a way that I don't... In a way that respected the the mess and and because I'm part of it and it's something that I'm I'm really proud of it's something that I value uh, quite a bit so uh, it, it I wanted I just wanted to make sure I did it right uh, part of the way that I wanted to do that as I got into some of these interview style episodes was to have a conversation and I wanted to make sure it was with someone that I viewed as an authority on the Chiefs mess because I know for a lot of you, you would view me as an authority on the cheese mess. And I would agree with you to an extent, but I wanted someone that was like an unquestioned authority on all things chief mess related. Right. Uh, I think we accomplished that. We got fleet master chief, uh, Paul Kingsbury. He's retired now, uh, works at the U S Naval Institute. Really excited about the interview. Uh, the content of it just, Take the time to digest it. Think about the issues. And then I really, really, really want engagement on this one. Uh, obviously, I'm always open to your feedback. But this one especially, I'd really like to hear from you guys. Uh, if you want to extend or build on this conversation, reach out. Uh, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast. Or you can DM me on Instagram at Diga's podcast. Uh, I, I post the episodes on Reddit. You want a private message to me on Reddit or direct message, whatever it's called. Hit me up there. I Anyway, get a hold of me. Talk to me about it. Uh, let me know what you think. And then if you're interested, I, I want to talk to everybody about this. I, I'm struggling getting junior sailors to <laughs> contact me. Uh, I don't want it to feel forced. I don't want to approach junior sailors directly and say, hey, do you want to be on? I'm, I am reaching out to veterans that I interacted with on some level that got out after one enlistment to get those types of perspectives, but I would really love for active duty junior sailors uh, to get a hold of me. I don't care if you've been in five minutes or five years, uh, reach out. If you're interested in doing this, uh, getting on and just having a conversation about any topic, it's something that I'm super interested in doing uh, and would love for you guys to reach out with feedback and with uh, any desire to be on the podcast. So without further ado, uh, here's the interview with Fleet Master Chief Paul Kingsbury talking about Chief Smash issues. All right, man. So I'm super glad we finally got to do this. It seems like I was talking to the last guy about uh, how difficult it is to align two schedules of adults that are on different sides of the country. So uh, I'm glad we finally were able to get this uh, get this done and connected. So uh, like we talked about previously, just I always want to lead in with your bio and background. So if you could just give as much detail as you'd like about not just uh, your naval career, which I know kind of the re- one of the reasons I was excited so much about having you besides just having a conversation is the fact that to do this topic, I was really nervous about the m- my being the authority on the chief's mess stuff. <laughs> and so I was really happy to get someone like you to 
uh, kind of be that authority and have the conversation with me because then I get to learn and everybody else gets to learn and get that perspective. But just hit us with your bio and background on your naval career and then also what you're doing now. Absolutely. So uh, before I get into that, thanks again for this opportunity. Absolutely. Um, I love what you guys are doing, not just you. There's many, many chiefs out there that are using this form and others that, uh, as I've mentioned in uh, some of the videos and podcasts I've done, I'm only now getting really familiar and, and uh, proficient with, I guess you could say. Right. Um, but they serve as a great catalyst um, for cheese mess discussion, not just about the health of cheese mess, but the, about the Navy at large. So, you know, for whatever uh, your intent is, you know, I think this is good stuff and encourage you to keep doing it. So, uh, yeah, so I did uh, just uh, last year, retired after 31 years, of, you know, career in the Navy, started out, grew up in South Florida, recruited down there, um, found my way in the Naval Nuclear Power Program. Uh, so I did that as an electrician's mate, uh, chose to go surface. No knock to you, but, you know, oh, that's uh, fine. as soon that's as fine. I was given the choice between <laughs> submarines and aircraft, you know, surface ships. It's um, not for everybody. It's not, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll talk a little bit. I had a little bit of a submarine tour, but not really. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I did the nuclear power training thing down in Orlando, Florida. That's where I went to boot camp when we had that. And then uh, found myself on USS Eisenhower, a couple of deployments there. Um, right around, you know, you're talking, I reported there in 89. So this is right when, you know, the Iraq war flares up. Yeah. But I joined during a post, you know, towards the end of the Cold War era, right? So in 1991, right. uh, I enlisted in 87, the Soviet Union collapses. And uh, at the same time, like I mentioned, that uh, deployment I was on, on Ike, you know, we were uh, one of the first carriers in the Red Sea when that whole, uh, when Iraq invaded Kuwait. Yeah. So, um, so my career then progresses through this whole time frame of um, shifting our presence into the Middle East. So, story short, you know, I do nuclear power. Um, you know, I did uh, Ike. I've done Mississippi. Did instructor tour up at Boston Spa, New York. That was on a on the Marf plant. So that was my submarine tour per se. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know the. I don't know what exactly it is, but I've heard a ton of guys, buddies of mine, talk about the Marv stuff, and yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, any nukes out there would appreciate it. They'll know what yeah. I'm talking about. But, yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, came back, like I said, after that, I went to the USS Mississippi, one of the nuclear cruises we had, decommissioned her, and then picked up Chief at the end of that tour, and then went to, and that was in 1996, and then went to USS Enterprise, so another uh, nuclear power plant, and then picked up uh, pre-screened. I made Senior Chief there, and then screened to go pre-commissioning unit, Ronald Reagan. So pre-commissioning work, um, on the Ronald Reagan, that was quite an experience and then applied for, and, uh, you know, just naturally felt myself leaning more towards that stuff that we would call, you know, CMC kind of stuff. So right. applied for the command mass chief program, you know, had the, uh, endorsement of the command mass chief. Fortunately at that time we had a lot of nukes in reactor department. Um, you know, you screen for, um, um, pre-com duty. So, you know, on that cycle, I made mass chief. I think we had about nine mass chiefs running around reactor department. Oh, wow. So we had a surplus. I applied. I had support of the chain of command. I was picked up to go to the command mass chief program. And then I went to first tour was uh, USS Juno out in Sasebo, Japan. So, you know, jumped from a newly commissioned aircraft carrier to a 40-year-old Amphib 4 deployed um, that was an experience. You know, that, that's a whole podcast in itself on culture change, um, but learned a lot and then uh, went to VFA 211 as my second command mass chief tour back to Virginia Beach, um, yeah. a little bit of the aviation side and was thinking of doing an aircraft carrier CMC tour. Um, 
and then kind of talked myself out of it because I had spent so much time deployed on aircraft carriers. Um, I just wanted to do something different. So the opportunity to do a region mass chief job and joint region Marianas came up. So uh-huh. I went out to Guam for a couple of years. Nice. Um, you know, and you, you know, you got CMC and at the tactical level now, and now you start to learn about, you know, introduce you to this world of flag staffs and how they operate. Yeah. And you start getting into policy, um, and things like that. So, um, did a couple of years there. Guam was cool. Like I said, I grew up in South Florida. So a lot of fishing, a lot of diving, a lot of sunshine, yeah. real small, real fast. Um, and professionally I, I kind of felt the appetite for something else. So Navy region, Japan came up, Naval forces, Japan command mass chief billet. So I applied, got selected for that. Um, so I got to go back to Japan, um, for another couple of years. And that was, you know, really rewarding, really great tour. You know, got to see a lot, got to learn a lot, got to, you know, um, do a lot of work with Kaiju Jetai, you know, the JMSDF, um, Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force, Navy Senior Enlisted. Um, You know, got to, you know, there were seven bases there that uh, Navy Region uh, Japan was, you know, had oversight over. So not travel a lot, but it was cool to go around and kind of learn more. And then I found myself, frankly, at the Naval Safety Center doesn't sound glamorous, but a great yeah. opportunity to shift to shape naval risk management across communities. So I found myself really leveraging my nuclear power background um, and things I was reading to try to open the aperture to help the Navy develop and strengthen its safety management system. And then, uh, you know, and then I was selected, uh, you know, to be the fleet mass chief at Fleet Forces Command. And I did that three year tour and uh, retired and then found yeah. myself about a year out with this opportunity. Yeah. And if you back it up, I started to, you know, there's a parallel path here, right? So yeah. never would have thought I'd end up at the Naval U S Naval Institute. But when I was at the Naval safety center, um, you know, I, I, like all of us, right. Like I tell many chiefs, right. Um, I know chiefs have a lot to, you know, on their mind, they have a lot to say about what's going on with policy process and culture. But, um, I had a lot too, and I had a Marine Corps Colonel, Deputy Glenn Butler, who was the deputy at the Naval Safety Center. You know, one day we were having our, you know, after stand up meeting cough, and he's like, Have you ever thought of writing this stuff in an article for proceedings? Yeah. It's like, What's proceedings, right? And then uh, next thing I know, he introduces me to Proceedings Magazine, the Naval Institute, um, tee up an article, um, and then I go down this path of writing, submit, win a couple essays. Um, get on their editorial board, um, continue writing. And then they approached me. They wanted to rewrite, you know, an update to the chief petty officer's guide that the Naval Institute press publishes. That's mm-hmm. one of the many guides, right? Just like blue jackets, yeah. manual, and many of the others. Um, you know, and I had a lot written down and I, I thought it was something worthwhile. And I, I, I saw the need to update some literature about the chief's mess and our yeah. leadership and our management skills. Um, so I took a year, updated that book and then, uh, you know, that came out and I was still writing essays here and there. And then they offered, uh, offered me to come on the team and I, I took that. So I've been doing that for about a year now, uh, doing outreach. So I do two lines of effort. I do enlisted outreach. Um, you know, one of their strategic goals is to expand the reach of the Naval Institute. So I'm working to do that across the three sea services, right? Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. So I do a lot of engagement with the Senior Enlist Academy, podcasting like this, yeah. um, you know, just your typical outreach awareness building. Um, I use a lot of social media reach, what what little bit I have, I guess. <laughs> and then, um, and then the other thing I do is I work with the Naval Institute Press to 
mature and develop their line of professional books. Um, so like we mentioned, right? So since 1902, the Naval Institute Press has published the Blue Jackets Manual. That was their first book ever. And you know the legacy that has. So it's yeah. you know it's a series of books that are by naval professionals for naval professionals um, that provide advice, guidance, and consolidate a lot of knowledge that they may or may not know. And then this spring comes out the first edition of the Petty Officer's Guide that I co-wrote with the uh, Wine One Dan Richard. And then, as you know, like I mentioned, the Chief Petty Officer's Guide right. was there. And then on the Coast Guard side, you know, they have the Coast Guardsman's Manual. I found uh, BMC Phil Knoll. He had been writing and been published and won some essay contests. So he came on as the co-author for the Coast Guard version. So this year we'll release the first edition of the Coast Guard Petty Officer and Chief Petty Officer Guides as well. And then this year we're going to, uh, I'm going to come on as the co-author for the next edition, the 26th edition of the Blue Jackets Manual. So looking forward to updating nice. And uh, that's where I'm at now. Oh, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I was kind of the same way with the U.S. Naval Institute where I kind of discovered it. Um, I try to remember how I ran upon it. It might've just been an article on social media, but, uh, I ended up subscribing because somebody's like, Oh, you get this code if, cause you just made chief. And then I, I subscribed, read some articles and then the proceedings start showing up in the mail. And that's kind of how I got into it. I still have not written an essay. I know I'm working. That's on okay. It. <laughs> I mean, the form, so, but that gets to that, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I'd give, you know, when I do these outreach briefs, I go back to the history, you know, 1873, how the Naval Institute was, Created. I'm not going to reproduce that here, but the bottom line was, you know, a bunch of dudes got together and started talking about the health of their Navy and, and the inner war period between the Civil War and World War One, and they knew the Navy wasn't prepared for what warfare looked like. So they started getting together, talking about stuff, and really the only form they had back then was the written word. So they started to write all these right. discussions down, which would become the proceedings of the Naval Institute, which turned into the magazine. But as you know now yeah. – like I said, you know, now we have a proceedings podcast. We've got a digital footprint. We've got all the social media speaks covered, right? So as the internet came around and social media rose up, right, the forum naturally evolved, not just for the Naval Institute, but, you know, there's all kinds of discussion forums out there um, that individuals are hosting. So I think they're really important. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoy a lot of the articles and it's for those that don't flip through magazines anymore. The app is really, really great and works really, really well. Very functional. That's how I consume a lot of the content uh, is just by getting on the app, logging in because I have a membership and then going through all the all the articles. Um, so we got put in contact by a chief that's a listener. And uh, I'm curious to know like so when you were first exposed to the platform because we talked before we started recording about some people that you've shared it with and stuff like that and i've always been slightly concerned that once it gets to that level of of leadership structure that there may be some kind of um pushback or negative reaction of some kind i haven't encountered it yet uh, but i'm always kind of concerned that the reaction may be negative and like who does this guy think he is and that kind of thing um, have you seen anything like that with this type of a platform? Not necessarily just mine, but I know you've talked about being exposed to some others and then kind of, how did you react to it when you were first exposed to it? Yeah. So, uh, so like I said, this wasn't the first podcast I knew of, right? There's a right. lot of my co-author of the Coast Guard chief petty also got, you know, BMC Phil Null. He does a podcast, right? It's more aimed at, you know, um, heroic acts that Coast Guardsmen went out and did and they either yeah. survived or didn't. Right. Um, but, I, I think this generation, this is, this is where it's at, right? This is normal, yeah. right? Um, I, 
this is just all anecdotal, of course, right? I, I, I see the boomer generation, so there's not a lot of them left on active duty. If they are, they're very, very senior in the Navy or they're recently retired. Um, you don't see as much of the social media footprint there as well, but you know, I'm a Gen Xer, so I grew up with Atari and some other <laughs> things. So I appreciate it. I don't know it. I, I'm not as functional with it as I probably could be. I'm just learning Instagram now. Um, yeah. But I don't. I don't see a lot of people going, "Who's this guy? I think he is." Because I don't think. Yeah, you know, you're just having a conversation, right? These right. You know, there's no absolute truth into anything. Even the articles that I've written, right? I'm just trying to have a conversation and present, you know, a position, and get people to stop and think about what's going on. And if you do that. Um, that's important, right? So, um, I came across, like I said, um, I was, you know, I was over met face, you know, Facebook messenger. Hey, you got to check out the D guts podcast. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll go look at it. Um, and then I scrolled through and I read the one, you know, the first one, you know, when I contacted you, it was the one you did on standards. Yeah. And I told you I had, when I was at joint region Marianas, I had come up with an article there called, you know, five steps to maintaining a standard or establishing and maintaining. And, and your podcast just kind of paralleled that you know, a little different way. It wasn't as, I guess, structured, um, as the model I had in my head, but I was like, man, this guy's thinking the same thing and he's having a great, you know, this is a great discussion to have. Um, so no, I don't, I don't see a lot of, you know, I remember blogs were big, right? The, the blog yeah. was the first big thing that came out, right? It was like you had the internet and then the blog started coming out. Um, so I've listened to guys like, you know, I, I read guys like commander Salamander, right? He's, you know, a retard, retired surface warfare officer of, you know, no one knows exactly who he is, but, um, he's pretty aggressive with his stuff. But at the end of the day, people write and people do this stuff because they care, right? They care about the health of their naval forces. They care about the health of their Navy. They care about the effectiveness. I hope the war fighting effectiveness of their Navy, um, and that's why we do this, right? It's not to, you know, just throw out, you know, on, on, you know, unsupported stuff. Right. A lot of things you're going to talk about guarantee your experience in firsthand. And the things I've heard you talk about, I think are important discussions to have. Yeah. And it's had like a, a very humbling effect on me as far as like what you were saying, where instead of, I, I used to be a very like, this is the best way of doing this thing. And that's the way we're going to do it. Instead of, being open to having a conversation about what's the best way to do it and learning from everywhere. Right. And it's as I've done this, I've, I've felt myself kind of like get into a good space where everything is a discussion. Everything is subject to change. As long as the conversation's happening, we're thinking about all the things and the effects that the decisions are going to have on all the people. Um, and that was kind of what led me to this topic that we're going to talk about it is, I started to recognize at the very beginning that leadership development was a problem because based on my experience as an A school instructor, I had more and more students that the longer I was there because of the throughput of the schoolhouse reaching back to me saying either I'm in a leadership position all of a sudden and I don't know what to do or I'm experiencing trouble with leadership and I like I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know how to interact with this chief. Um, that's screaming at me and I don't know why or uh, to the point that some of the stories were really troubling. And so it was kind of like a, I, I kept having the same conversation over and over again via like Facebook Messenger. And I was like, 
all right, I got to do something about this because like there's so many kids reaching out to me and these are just CSA school students. How many more are out there? So it's kind of it started with a Facebook post for the for the A school students. I was just like, I'm directing this at you. And I started explaining all the things, you know, like all the common threads I saw in the in the conversations that were being had. And then uh, I had just started getting into podcasts. And so I was just like, you know what? I could do this, I think. Like, I, I, I wonder if I'm nuts, though. And I was I was always really worried about the reaction, particularly of chiefs, like about the who does this guy think he is thing. So I recorded an introduction uh, the introduction episode that's up right now, uh, the very first one, and sent it to a guy I made senior chief with, uh, a girl I put through the season, I was her sponsor, and then a couple of students that had graduated and went to the fleet that I really trusted as like they're really solid, hard charging sailors. And I was like, what do you guys think of this? And am I nuts? You know, <laughs> and like, yeah. like am, I, am I an idiot for thinking that this is a good idea? And it was like universally, no, do it. This is awesome. I think this would be really good. Um, and so I started it and it developed into this thing where I was exploring all the different ways that we could get leadership development and education to juniors. And then it, the reaction I got, and, and I was telling you before we started recording, like the best and most engagement I've gotten was from chiefs just going like, oh my God, we need to do more of this. And like, can I get involved? How can I help? Uh, that kind of stuff. And I was just like, huh, that's interesting. But then from the junior sailor end of it, a lot of what I got was just chiefs are the evil empire and like everything, everything that's a problem in my life stems from the chiefs mess. And then as I started to explore that topic, we started to see all the things, all the very public red flags, right? Like the articles, the op-eds, um, you talked to the young man that did one of them, um, in the Navy times, I saw like Bill Houlihan's post. I saw a bunch of other stuff. And then that's got, that got me into kind of exploring the topic a little bit. And then I posted on Reddit. I was just like, as I got into that, cause somebody's like, Hey, you should get on Reddit. Um, that was very enlightening. Uh, I got this huge response, uh, because I, and that's one of the things I like so much about conversations on Reddit is it's anonymous. So it's like junior sailors aren't going to be afraid to give me blunt, honest feedback. Sometimes it's a, like, you got to strip away some of the vitriol, but like the, yep. You get blunt, honest feedback on what they're actually upset about. And and that got me to a place where after the Reddit thing, I was like, I got to talk like I got to talk about this. And I, pr- I kind of promised that crowd I was going to do an episode about it. And then as I started to explore it, I was like, I can't ju- it can't be me by myself just talking about this because I want it to be a discussion, number one. Uh, and I want it to be with someone that has a whole hell of a lot more experience than I do. Uh, and so that's why I was really, really glad you were interested in doing this. Uh, and that is just the the problems that we see in the mess, right? Like the, uh, the big thing for me that I focus on is the erosion of trust between the chief's mess and pretty much everyone. Like it started with the focus on junior enlisted because that's kind of the most traveled path, I would think. But then I started talking to junior officers and then senior officers. And I'm like, this is kind of everybody. Uh, like I, I've gotten those types of, of opinions from everyone just saying, Hey, this is a problem everywhere with everyone is the perception of the mess. And we like, we feel like we can't trust them. We feel like that we can't go to them with our problems. We feel like they're no longer the subject matter experts. We feel like all, all the things are eroding. Um, and I kind of, I, I guess I'll just ask you what you think about that as a concept. I, I know we've talked a, a bunch offline about it, but what do you think about that issue of, why there's an erosion of trust and kind of like how we got here, because I don't feel like here is the same as when I came into the mess uh, in 2011 and went probably when you came into the mess, it was even more different. 
kind of kind of what do you think about where we are now and how we got here? So it's um, thought a lot about it. I've written a lot about it. You know, um, one of my most recent articles that uh, it just published what in December I think was part two an article I first wrote about taking a fit. basically you know what makes CPO mess techs or what makes the cheese mess tech right. My title I proposed was taking a fix on the cheese mess because, like I said, I was seeing and hearing some of these things. So, yeah. Um, but I, I always preface it with you look at this thing and there's so many influencers on the behavior of, if there is such a thing, Navy wide CPO mess culture. Yeah. Um, and there are things I'm seeing. So, so I think, now, first of all, there's a generational component to this. Um, so, like I said, I came in 1987. Um, I made chief in 1996. We're t- so the chief mess I grew up with, right? Um, you got to think about how they were shaped, right? So you got to roll back <laughs> and know, you really do, right? Because yeah. everyone goes like, oh, it's now, right? No, you got to put this in context of how former generations have influenced the way people have led. So I think the prime, one of the primary shapers is this generational interaction and, and bounce back. So the characteristics of if you go back, you know, we go back beyond boomer, right? If you go back to the generation before one of the, I, I think one of the big things, the characteristics of those generations was respect for authority. That's one of the characteristics that's, that kind of came out. Right. And this, this just isn't with the chiefs, right? This is happening in society as well. So when you look at how people interact with their parents, with how they interact with government leaders, there's just an inherent trust, right? Just because of their positional power, Hey, we're just going to give you a pass, and you know, no one really questioned their legitimacy, right? No one questioned their competence. No one questioned their character. There wasn't the exposure, right? And I'll talk about this on the side with social media, but it was respect to the authority, the position of authority, right? So you didn't talk back to Mass Chief or Chief, right? It was like, yes, Chief, got it. You you assumed that the position of Chief Petty Officer, you know, was sacrosanct, right? You didn't like, hey, Chief's been there, a Chief forever. They've been there, done that. And and I'm not saying they, they didn't, right? But they grew up in a different Navy and a different time, right? And they could yeah. le- they could use power and influence in a way um, that was different. So that's one thing, right? And we do could you, Do you think ahead. that they actually viewed the position as sacrosanct or it was a fear of the authority they could exercise if you didn't just do what you were told? <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's what it was. Right. So if I look back, right, I would never just like I wouldn't question my parents because how would they lead? They would lead from a position heavily based in coercive and pressure tactics. Right. Right. Um, Coercive based power threats. I mean, we know we've heard the stories. Right. Um, But you got to once again, you got to put it in context. Right. That was a that was a draft military. That wasn't all volunteer. Right. So the people you brought in weren't very receptive they weren't a committed influence audience, right? Uh, and you're going to hear me talk as we go through, just like I wrote in the CPO guide. I'm going to talk a lot about power and influence kind of topics and theory here. But you know, when you when you look at your audience, right, it's either committed, compliant, or resistant. That's their ability to accept your influence. And you had people back then, right? We had we brought people, drafted them in the military, and told them. Hey, you're going to Vietnam War. What? You know, and they had a choice, right? Number one, well, do I want to go forward and in, in the jungle and fight, or maybe I'll go in the Navy? It was true. They would give them an option of, 
hey, do you want to you know, do prison time or jail time or go in the military, yeah. right? So <laughs> you think about the people that are coming in, right? It's not the same caliber as it was, and it wasn't volunteer. So, and we know socially we were a mess as a country, right? You're talking about, you know, when I go back into the 60s and 50s, right? You no, know, a lot of those social problems with racism and it was just not a good place to lead it, right? So, so you could always lean back though on your positional power. Hey, I'm the chief, just do it. I've got a lot of influence. I've got a lot of tools of that I can just put a hurting on you if I need to. And at the same time, you know, when you go back to there, there was no leadership development. There were no books on this stuff, right? <laughs> You're just kind of like <laughs> leading in a very coercive, threat-based way. I'm not saying there weren't good chiefs and people of character. I think they believed in what they were doing. I think they had a lot of competence back there, but they were enabled to lead in a different way. So when when you think about the stories of I, I didn't have to receive any of this, but bulkhead counseling, fan room kickings, right? These are things that were happening, right? There, you could physically, you know, use pressure and threats of physical abuse on people back then, and they would respond. And and maybe based on the target audience you had. You, you needed to use that stuff, right? But when you bring that forward, you can see how different that is now, right? So that's one huge difference is the context of how how they were brought up. Um, you know as well as I do, right? The, my parents were, I mean, they would spank you, right? Not just yeah, with their hands, with belt, you know, with whatever. I mean, that was accepted. And that I had respect for my parents. I did not question. I did not challenge, right? Um and that that's good from a you know a disciplinary compliance standpoint, but it has secondary effects that people weren't thinking about, right? Right. Um, so um, I think that's one big difference when you look back. So you start to pull this forward, right? So the Gen Xers like I, you know, come in. Um, we grow up differently, right? So when you think about generationally how we grew up, right? A lot more. I wasn't a latchkey kid, but this is where we start with the latchkey generation. Yeah. So, you know, very young kids, teenagers are, are basically, you know, their parent, both parents are having to work now and kids are coming home and taking care of themselves. Right. So you're, and you're shifting to an all volunteer Navy now, uh, and you're starting to increase the standards of, of, of recruiting. Right. So these things are going to start to change your target audience and what they're thinking about. So we come in now, like I said, I had a stay at home mom. I was fortunate for that. And, and she was very like, you know, a disciplinarian, very strong handed. So I was probably groomed to just do well in the military, follow orders, you know, don't push back. But you start bringing in Gen Xers and not to say that they can't follow orders, but they start thinking differently, right? They're like, no, I got this, you know, and actually I, you know, I'll respect the office, but I'm more interested in what can you do to solve some problems for me, you know, and Hey, I value work-life balance. So this whole, you know, your family didn't come in to see bag. Mm, I don't know if that's kind of resting, <laughs> right? And yeah. definitely don't put your hands on me. Mm-hmm. So you start seeing as young sailors, we start changing, right? So why is this important? Because we're responding to that generation of chief's leadership and it's shaping us and how we're going to be as chief petty officers, right? So I start to think that as you turn the Navy over from that boomer generation of chiefs into the Gen X's, um, you start to see some some changing. We, you know, as Gen Xers, you know, I grew up in nuclear power. We're taught questioning attitudes. So you ask why, yeah. um, not in a very disrespectful way. You're just asking why to understand. 
So Gen X, that's one of their characteristics. It, before millennials, Gen Xs start asking why. So yeah. that kind of that challenges that absolute authority of positional power. I think you see right. Um, and then so Gen X comes in, and then you start turning over, and the next generation that starts coming in is the millennials, right? And once again, you read about those attributes. Now they're heavily on social media. They're heavily, definitely most parents are working, right? So you start to bring in a different dynamic now. And I think some things, you know, the way they want to be led is different. What they're, what they tolerate, right? Now you start to see like, oh no, your sailors have expectations of you now, right? You don't just get to define the expectations, right? This, there's some, uh, there's give and take here. Some transactional leadership has to happen because, they care about how they're led and they want to be involved, right? And they want to make a difference in their organization, right? So, you know, these are just my observations, but there's so many factors in here. So we talked earlier about the Chi Petty Officers Creed, right? So no one knows who wrote that, right? It's It comes out of somewhere, but it comes out of that generation of boomers, right? Um, but as that goes through, that's another source document. It's like, okay – the way that talks and, you know, kind of presents things, you know, is that, is that different? How is that viewed now? So those are the generational influences I think are a huge thing that we don't take time to really think about and really reflect on. Okay. Are we managing the generational changes within our organization and how it affects the relationships between leadership and their people, right? Because right now, Like I said, at any time, you've got three to four generational belief systems in the military, right? So we've got some amount of boomers still left. Gen X is most of your senior leadership at this point, right? Millennials are most of the workforce, 50 to 60%, and most of the chiefs mess is millennial. Uh, So when the chiefs are talking about those millennials, they're actually talking about themselves. And now you're starting to bring in the next generation, Gen Z, right? So I think it's important to understand um, and do that. So that's one thing that happens. Another thing that's happening is the understanding of power and influence and leadership um, and management and organizational psychology starts to develop. So you start bringing in an appreciation for those theories um, and how you develop a workforce, how you return, retain it and how you, how you attract it. So naturally um, the military, you know, the N1 organization gets very interested in that because now I've got an all volunteer Navy, right? I can't just make you come in here and keep you. I've actually got to invest in you and, uh, you know, and how I treat you affects my retention, right? And it affects my ability to attract and retain talent. So the Navy as a whole starts to care more about that. Remember you come out of the sixties, Navy climate at large is mismanaged, right? This is why we end up with race riots on aircraft carriers, and, and ultimately, we have to – it takes the secretary of the Navy at the time to kind of do a working group that determines, um, hey, we need some representation for you know the enlisted population. And this is one of the reasons we establish the office of the National Petty Officer of the Navy, right? Those things are happening as well. So you have this whole trajectory of, hey, we're getting smarter about leadership and management development. You're attracting more talent. You're invested in retaining it, and you're invested in managing climate as well. And I don't think that was, was something that was as valued back, you know, under that quote unquote, you know, old school chief model that we like to look back on. Right. So, and that's only refined more and more, right. Um, we're investing heavily in leadership development, probably not as much in management skill development as we should be. I've written about that, 
but that's another big factor that happens. And then a third huge factor is the rise of social media, right? So just like a naval institute, this forum, right? Now sailors can openly, right? So they're smarter. Um, they're more, you know, this, they're smarter. They're more educated coming in the door. I'm not, I'm not saying they're more experienced per se. They're still young and they're learning, but their sense of the world is much more mature, I believe, as a whole than mine is, right? I think the average second-class petty officer right now, if you look at, at their worldview and what they know about China and Russia and the world setting and, and things, much more mature than mine was. Uh, and that could be argued back and you know, I'd listen and if you could disprove that, I, I, I'd say okay. But my sense is they know what's going on because they're fed so much information about everything from the strategic, policy, political levels all the way down to the tactical level. So their access right. to information – their access to a conversation and forums like this podcast changes the, dyna- the dynamic. So once again, I don't just sit there and say, hey, I'm the chief petty officer and just do it because you know as well as I do. There's all kinds of Facebook pages out there you know, that are junior sailor focused and they're on there exchanging notes and you know, they can call they, this you know, back up to what I said, right? This creates a level of transparency into the competence and character of the cheese mess that wasn't there before, right? So now we raise an eyebrow. So remember, under the power base influence theory, my character, which is your personal power base, and my competence, which is your expert power bases, those two power bases, when you're leading in a modern position now, in a modern Navy, those are the ones that give you credibility, and then credibility is what develops trust, right? So when you talk about erosion of trust – I have to look at those two power bases and go, has there been a general erosion in the competence, right? The expert power, the cheese mess. And is there an erosion in the character and the, you know, and the personal power of the cheese mess. And I think two reasons you can say there has been. So that article I talked about, talked about the erosion, the enlisted advancement system. Um, So when you talk about expert power, the chief petty officer, and once again, this is not every chief, right? This I can't go into attribution, attribution error, right? There's some chiefs that definitely know their stuff, right? But if you start talking about, and you mentioned this, right? Sailors at large uh, are starting to verbalize that their chiefs don't know their stuff. I'm like, okay, right. why is that, right? So I look at things like the things that shape a chief petty officer's competence, you know, the advancement process and selection boards, and we'll, we can talk about those as a sidebar, but that article I wrote uh, in the December edition of Proceedings Magazine talks about that and why we need to rebuild that enlisted advancement process and be very mindful of the processes that incentivize self-study and learning and technical competence, not just of the cheese mess, but of young sailors who are going to develop uh, being chiefs. You've mentioned this, right? Initiation is not the time you make a chief petty officer, right? They're built since in boot camp, right? So, so from day one of boot camp all the way till the day you're selected, that all those processes and all that time reading, learning your trade, learning your rating, going on deployments, right? That's where you're developing a chief petty officer, right? So right. on the character side, right? So I think back in the day, right, um, we valued competence of the chief petty officer more than character, right? So if I go to the 50s and 60s and beyond, right, I'm like, I think if you knew your stuff and, and which they did, right? Remember, it was different too. One one big difference is, you know, Mick Palm Black talks about this and stuff. So um, you could be assigned to a ship for like decades, right? So 
hell yeah, you knew that chip. You knew those systems, right? Yeah. Um, you were that rating expert on that chip because um, you didn't turn over every two or three years. Um, that's another difference about that generation and this one is how we assign and distributed our manpower, right, and, and the amount of time. But there were no tech reps and things like this, right? The chief petty officer was the expert. They were empowered to be and expected to be the technical manager. A lot of self-sufficiency capability was built in the force, not just at the unit level, but remember, we had all these submarine t- tenders, all these surface tenders, right? We had SIMAs, right? The whole self-sufficiency apparatus of the Navy was so much more rigorous coming out of World War II uh, than it is now. So that's another factor that gets into the compass of the chiefs is we not just eroded out our advancement system, but we divested out of the self-sufficiency apparatus, right? We demand the SIMAs. We, you know, decommissioned a lot of tenders. Uh, yeah. So, and then we yeah. started paying contractors and other people to do this work, right? Because ultimately, you know, someone who makes big money decisions says it's cheaper to do that. And so you got to look at the competence piece and then the character piece. Like I said, the chiefs could leave, you know, in a different way, right? So you could be this chief that just threatened people all the time. I'm not saying people like that back in the day, but they just had to tolerate it. But now as the leadership development expectations of leadership has changed. We manage climate now. We care about climate, what you know, and how our people lead and the impact it has on the workforce. And when you fall short of those behaviors, your face is all over Navy Times and, and all these other things. So the, right. the failures of a chief petty officer are much more prominently displayed um, than they were in the past. And Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I'm okay with it. Yeah. You know, um, they... People from the organizational perspective, I need people to understand that there's a standard and everyone is held accountable to it. Now, I from the from the aspect of you know what I don't like is I don't like when you you know make someone highly visible you know on the news and things like that because I, in my personal opinion, there's two people that I need to know if you screw up big time, right? It's the people that work for you, right, at the unit level, and the people right above you, right, your leadership at the ASU yeah. level, right? Um, but putting it out in the Navy Times, putting it on the news, I don't know what that re- really achieves. Um, all it does is embarrass the family. Um, there's a cost to it there. That's where I draw the limit. So I'm okay yeah. with, like, if I had a chief petty officer at the unit level that screws up, yeah, I want the crew to know that and how we hold them accountable because, you know, right. from a good right. moment of discipline, yeah, everything is getting swept under the rug. Yep. Just like same thing with an officer, right? I would want to know that. Um, yeah. And then you inform the ESA that, hey, you know, we held this per- person accountable. But to me, that's the space where visibility of accountability should be. Um, but I got it. You know, you know what? Navy Times is out there. They want to sell newspapers and make money. So they're going to capitalize on the cessationalism of these failures. But there is a point, right? some of that can be disproportionately portrayed, right? So even the conversation we're having, like it's got to be, we don't measure any of this stuff, right? So got to still got to be careful, like this picture you paint of, you know, when you start making general assumptions and assertions about problems and issues, um, you got to make sure that um, that's true. So I think sometimes these Navy Times articles, because they only publish the bad stuff, it can start to lend itself to a picture that we're, we're a lot more hosed up than we are. Right. Look at the raw. You know, I used to collect data on the stats for the fleet CPO training team when I was at Fleet Forces. Um, when you look at the number of SIP reps that come in with chief mess misbehavior, it's like 0.005 percent. Right. Right. I'm okay with that number. So yeah. I would rather talk about the 
nine five percent that's doing it right. Yeah, so that kind of it's probably less than that though, right? It's yeah. Those are the ones oh, that get caught. Not yeah, I was going to say the ones that uh, I think there's a feeling based on my conversations with junior sailors is that there's a feeling that that number is so low because these chiefs are getting away with things and they're not being held accountable. Maybe because they just didn't get caught or maybe because it's probably the more prevalent opinion is that it gets swept un- swept under the rug at the command level or the mess level. So it's kind of the question becomes like, is it is that why the number is so low and what could we do about it? Yep. So with discipline too, you got to, I mean, I would expect this with any level of discipline, right? You, you should take a, there's two types of discipline, right? Positive and negative. We often think Mm -hmm. discipline is just like punishment. Well, discipline isn't just punishment. So positive discipline is training and education. Um, It's preventive focused. It's proactive. Believe it or not, as much as it's perceived as negative, EMI is actually a positive discipline tool. Right. Um, because it's supposed to educate. Um, if it's misapplied, then it becomes perceived as, as negative discipline. Um, but but yeah, how discipline is perceived is important. Um, and how those tools um, are used is important as well. Yeah. And, and I so I had a question based on a conversation I had with some juniors. There was it was basically like a OK. So chief chief gets in trouble, let's say, and it could just be something at the unit level, not like a DUI or anything, but like there's something like that. Maybe they there's an integrity violation in relation to maintenance or something. There is often an opinion that chiefs think they can just do whatever they want because there's no fear of losing rank once you're getting paid. And so it was kind of like, why, why, why is that true? Like, why can't I as a chief get busted down by, let's say, like the Commodore or a flag officer? And I know court martial directed by a flag officer, I, I can get busted down. But the why, why is there not a function for accountability at a slightly lower level, maybe higher than COs at the unit level, right? Which is constantly a discussion on whether or not they should even have that authority. But yeah. um, the why is there not a function for me? Maybe I go up to the ISIC and they, there's a large investigation and the preponderance of the evidence says that, yeah, he did it or whatever. Uh, especially if it's something really clear cut, like even if it was a DUI, right? If it's something clear cut, why is there not a function for the type of accountability that somewhat parodies what junior enlisted could see? Cause basically the argument that's made is, you know, the E5 level is like, well, I do the same thing as chief Chief's supposed to be held to a higher standard, but I get an anvil dropped on my head and he just skates. And so it's kind of like, why, why is there not? Cause I, I feel like if there was a fear of that, you would get less of the misconduct that's caught or not caught. Right. That we talked yeah. about before. So I would, you know, one of the tools we put into place that senior enlisted continuation board, I wrote a piece of, you know, I think it was a blog. Yeah. Like three or four months ago. I, I, I was like, hey, is it time to discontinue that? Because yeah. you know the amount of time you invest in the resources and stuff, but and the fact that you still can go to twenty years, right? The people we review are are kind of there, right? And all we do is hey, say, hey, you don't get to go beyond twenty if you could. Yeah. We're going to terminate you as twenty. Yeah. Um, part of me goes, what if I move that and said, no, you get three years time and time and rate, and then I start looking at you, right? So if you got fourteen yeah. years. You're eligible to get, be, you know, discontinued. I think you would, you know, put a huge incentive in the behavior. Um, and then on the flip side, to your point, um, when you look at progressive discipline, do we go to the bus too quickly, right? 
Is it something that's so easy to do because of the belief system? Like, well, it's not that much money and they can recover quick. Right, right. Um, I don't know. You take, you know, let's translate that up. Uh, because that's usually one of the things like, oh, um, this chief is, you know, invested this much time and, it, you know, that bust is much more financially impactful. I think that's relative, right? I think the bust of an E5 or an E4 is just yeah. as impactful as it is for a chief petty officer. Yeah. Um, so I think all things, those tools are available, right? We've seen chiefs that, that get busted and can be administratively separated. You just got to be willing to do it. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I guess I, the feeling is that it, it's commands aren't willing to do it. And it's, it's a lot of times what I, what I hear is, and I've seen it in real life is um, the damage done by perception of that, not the accountability didn't happen. Also perception of that chief just gets recycled into another area where they're put in charge of sailors. And then the damage that could be done if that chief, there's something fundamentally wrong there and their leadership uh, is damaging to the junior sailors they're not put in charge of after the fact, right? Like, because I mean, who knows where their head's at and how they're going to recover from that. But because they are still at that level, they're recycled into another area, presumably where they're going to be. Like what I see in the submarine force a lot is they, they go hide them on shore duty for a little while and then they come back to a boat or they go to a different boat or whatever, where they're just moved somewhere else to try to rehabilitate, which I, I'm all for second chances. I, I want them to course correct and, and do better. And, but I guess some of it's some of it's I guess a lack of transparency is, is what you were saying before about how the unit level needs to be aware of exactly what happened, um, which I think we do a better job of now. But yeah, yeah. So you're gonna so two faults, right? So once again, um, so if I'm worried about your you know what we would call you know confidence, your ability to lead, as they you know when you remove COs, right? So usually it's those two power bases that happens, right? Number one, you fail in a character area. Or number two, you demonstrate competence that's incompatible with that required of that pay grade. Yeah. And because those two, or a combination of both, a third one could be a misuse of your positional power, right? So I step outside my authorities um, and I misuse my positional power in some way, right? I give unlawful orders um, that result in damage or whatever. So those three things from, a, you know, when you talk about uh, protecting your leadership, those would be three areas I would advise people to do. But when I'm going to remove people from leadership positions, I'm going to look at, okay, is your character, or your competence so eroded that your credibility is unrecoverable, right? Because those two power bases can be eroded. Ultimately, I've got to be able to stand up in front of people with that level of competence and character and credibility so that my sailors trust me. But at the end of the day, we are the military too, right? So I can have smaller levels of those. And if I can wield my positional power in an effective way and get things done, I don't necessarily need you to like it per se, right? As long as I'm not doing right. it. <laughs> so that it's not just as easy. So whenever you take a, a you know, any sailor or chief to mass or an officer, I think that's what you're looking at, right? So is, can I, number one, did anyone engage in a proactive, positive, positive disciplinary way, right? So when you know, we're very reactive in many cases with our discipline to where you have to go to a position of punishment. But there's people, you know, as well as I do, within a cheese mess, a good cheese mess, right? We should know those chiefs that are lacking in their character or their competence. Yeah. But what do we do about it, right? Yeah. Do you just sit right. there and let it fall right. apart and roll your eye with your fellow chief, right? Or do you engage, right? And I'm not talking – you don't need to be the cob or the command mass chief to engage, right? right. A chief can engage right. and I expect chief petty officers – 
and senior chiefs to engage. This is that self accountability function I write about in the chief petty officer's guide. Yeah. So that is one area I think we need to do better at, right? Do we know I, I how to engage a chief whose character or competence is lacking with positive discipline first, right? You step in, pull them aside and go, okay, you know, this is 101, right? Hey, I'm noticing this deficiency because of it. It's having this effect. What are we going to do about it, right? right. How are you going to fix it? Do you need more training? Do you need – what? how do we remediate? Because you're on a trajectory that's not going to be productive for the Navy or for you. So if that's yeah. being done and people are not responding to that, okay, then you have to escalate. Then you probably end up in negative discipline. But then do we give chief CMI, right? Yeah. You know, hey, senior, hey, you know, are you willing to give a chief EMI, right? Um, right. And, and kind of what does that look like? So that's one of the, the problems with that within the chief's mess, right? This concept of like, oh, everyone's the same. Well, okay, to an extent, but there are differences, right? So as a senior chief or a mass chief, someone has to hold the chief's mess accountable and, and be able to impose yeah. positive and negative discipline, right? It's not just all, hey, Joe, Sally, Phil, we're all cozy selling coins together. Right. No, there's still a hierarchy and there's still responsibilities and authorities that exist in those pay grade differences and they need to be there. So one of my concerns with the modern chief's mess is we don't do that well enough. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I've seen it happen. I think I've been spoiled a little bit on the submarines that I've been on. We we had a pretty good structure in that there was the hierarchy was there. Uh, the cob was empowering the senior chiefs to do the do the things they were supposed to do to hold chiefs accountable to develop them. It wasn't perfect, but it was way better than what I've seen in other areas where it's just not happening where like the senior chiefs and mass chiefs and chiefs are all just buddies selling coins and stickers and whatever and running around doing the things that, that we do, but it's, it's, they're all just on a first name basis and there is no hierarchy and that's super dangerous because it, when the things are not happening the way that they're supposed to, how do you go from being their BFF to chin checking them and saying, Hey, you're not, you're not doing this right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the basics. It's the things we talk about during the season, but you see that breakdown a ton. And then, what I what I don't understand is why we don't do more like you're saying positive discipline. And, and I think people might hear it as like a positive discipline, like disciplinary action. But it's like positive discipline being just have the discipline to do chiefs training, have the discipline to maintain that hierarchy in the mess, because I, I think that a lot of the issues that could lead to negative discipline could be completely averted by positive disciplines like having chiefs mess training having like either outside entities or just the cmc and the senior chiefs take a time out to do a topic or to talk through a c story or to do whatever do the things that i'm doing with this microphone just sit there and have that conversation tell that story relay the lessons learned this is how you don't step on the landmine that i did and then anybody got any questions but I, i don't think that happens enough until something goes terribly wrong, right? Where, or, or like you got a couple of a chiefs in a screaming match and you got to pull them in the chiefs quarters. And then that's when it happens. It's like, well, what, why don't we do that before we end up here yeah. where they're in the work center screaming at each other <laughs> or they're, yeah, you know, like out on the pier telling each other to F off. Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen nearly as much as it should. And I think it could fix a lot of those types of types of issues. Yeah. Uh, you can't, I mean, just like climate is managed, right? The cheese mess relationships and the climate within the cheese mess has to be managed, right? And that's, right. I write about, you know, it's not just the comm and the CMC. It's that group of, so before we had eights and nines, right, go before 58, you know, you probably had this crusty group of 
senior yeah. chiefs, right, that ran right. her, right, and kind of set that tone in the mess. I still, you know, expect that with the Cobb and the senior chiefs or those LCPOs or, you know, even that chief that's got, you know, very senior tenure D7, there's, there's that tone that's set, it's right, and it's managed, right? And that group of leaders has to come together because if that gets off, you're in a bad place. But once again, you know, are you willing to – so here's the double standards, right? So when the chief screws up, will you DRB him? I, so I have done a couple of DRBs on chiefs, which I was surprised at the, the command's willingness to do it. Uh, because on a submarine, everybody knows like there's no, if you wanted the option of keeping that under wraps, it's impossible. So yeah, we, we did two different DRBs, uh, on chiefs, both well-deserved, like it needed to happen that way. They, but there was several course corrections on the way there that were just completely ignored. So, so remember, so I talked about not remember, but here's a point to make, right? So this power and influence model applies not just to individuals, it applies to organizations too, right? So right. your your boat or your ship or your fleet, has it has credibility and competence, right? And it has trust. So we're, you know, you got to be careful when you start having different standards for different people, right? You know, right. It's okay. No, everyone should understand this command DRB applies to everyone, right? It's going right. to, it's going to happen. Because we are protecting the credibility, we're protecting the character and competence of this command, right? That's yeah. what it ultimately gets at, right? And as soon right. as you split off with different standards, you fracture the team, and this is where you have problems with perceived competence and character by junior people of the command, right? It becomes us versus them, and then the right. trust stuff comes from, right? So with some very, you know um, – What's what's so wrong with being held accountable, right? So, right. Um, I think part of so your value and belief system leads to an attitude, and that attitude reflects itself in what you say and what you do, right? So, part of what I kind of pause about, and I, I would ask chiefs to think about is right all the mantras that are asked there, right? Ask the chief, backbone of the navy, results not excuses. Yeah, right? yeah. that puts you in a very you know even the cheese cream. Yeah. I mean it, it really makes you feel like man I have no room for error, right? Yeah. Um, and I expect a lot out of chief petty officers, but they're not perfect, right? So right. when you have standards like that, and you have a mindset, and you have these mantras that people hear and think about. You can put yourself in a behavior where you're going to send those failures underground, right? You're going to be like, well, we can't. Once again, the cheese mess has uh, has a reputation. It's credible. It's credibility, right? It's competence. Right. It's character. Um, so how you deal with the failings of your competence and, cred- and your character matter too. But I worry sometimes it's like, have we built up a standard that is so unrealistic we can't even enforce it? And it drives some of this kind of behavior of protecting right where they're hiding it to create the illusion that they're maintaining it. Yes. Yeah. So before we get too far away from it, because you're you're kind of going back that direction right now is we, we talked about kind of like how we got here. But the values and beliefs that exist right now, like you just talked about a lot of the the catchphrases like ask the chief and it results not excuses that are printed on T-shirts that are like keychain stickers all over cars and trucks like when we when we arrived at where we're at now, like what is our values and belief system driving the wedge that is this trust issue that I think everyone is starting to realize exists and kind of like, how do we go about tearing some of this stuff down and rebuilding it 
in an image of we're all human beings learning how to lead. Like we're trying, like uh, these are the things we should be aiming for. Um, but understand that you're not perfect and you're going to fall short from time to time. And when you do, this is what you do about it. That kind of thing. Like I, cause I think that that does need to happen. Like I, I, I didn't give it as much thought until we started talking about the creed and the existence of these values and belief systems that, create an unattainable standard. And it's like, it's always good to strive for excellence, perfection, even knowing I'm not going to attain it, but should that be built into the the structure? Yeah. So I think you have to, yes. So all those mantras, right. Where they come from. I don't, I couldn't tell you where they come from. Like I told you, I don't even, you know, if someone, if someone knows out there who wrote the chief petty officer's creed, I'd like to know, right. Cause I'm like, I'd like to know, what I always it? assumed it was a like Mick Pond leadership mess meeting, and they oh, were just before like, all that. I mean, really? no, it was you know that came out before all that happened. Now, yeah, you know, there's been discussions within leadership mess, and for those not familiar with it, believe it or not, right? So that leadership mess is is really Mick Pond's chief mess of any CMC that works for a flag officer, right? So you're talking your fleet mashies, your force mashies, numbered fleets that group, right? So talking about people, you know, and, and how to change it. So I think your first start, you know, once again, so I'm mindful, I'm not on the field and on active duty anymore, but yeah. my advice to that group is to, you know, okay, let's, let's list all the mantras. Let's list all the value and belief systems and let's friggin' are they right for us in a 21st century yeah. Navy, right? With, with this kind of landscape that I've laid out and trying to help lay out, are those valid, right? So you've got to revalidate them, you know, first of all. Um, and I'm not saying you ask the chief's mess for permission, but you solicit input, right? Um, we have the mission by vision guiding principles. Um, those were, you know, those were drafted under Mick Pond Joe Campa. Um, they codify some valuable systems. Um, but I think you've got to pull all that onto the table, look at it, and then you got to go, okay, what, you know, put that beside what do I want and need, not want, what do I need a chief petty officer to be? What do I need a senior chief petty officer to be? What do I need a mass chief petty officer to be? Once you've identified what you need them to be, because I, I still wonder, do we even know, right, how maybe what they could and should be doing? Once you've got that, then you go and go, okay, what are the values and beliefs that enable that? Um, and what are the attributes I need out of chief petty officers um, to do those things? And then – you go to these other documents that are shaping these these belief systems, um, these mantras and things like that, and you either deconstruct them and, and go, hey, this is not what we're doing anymore. And then that message has to be carried loudly by MCPON primarily, right? Because that is the person, right? If you talk about one person that's going to drive that kind of culture change, you start there with the MCPON, the fleets and the forces coming in behind it, right? Yeah, It's going to take time. But then you got to back it up with these other things, right? So the selection board has to come in right behind it because you know the selection board shapes behavior. So if you say you value this, this, and this, the selection board better be aligned to that, right? So right. You play in that field and do the things you want and excel at them. You send a clear signal with advancement that yes. And then the chiefs that don't fulfill them, you send a clear signal with tools such as the enlisted continuation board. We don't want you anymore, Right. Right. Over uh, this isn't going to happen in a year. So over a decade or so, you will change the culture of the cheese mess. So you've got to pull off and go. Where do we come up with results, not excuses? Right. Sounds good, but there's a limit to that, 
right? Yeah. yeah. Are you going to get I, results by making unethical, unsafe? Yeah. Things? Yeah, I think there could almost be like a redefinition of it because you know that you probably. I would. I would venture to guess, educate a guess, but that if if we dis, if we tried to press reset you'd spend more time combating the you're destroying our heritage like type conversation than you would getting anything done. So, I mean, I think it could almost be a redefinition of results, not excuses. Sounds great. I think in practical application, it can be a very positive thing if it's guided by or, or clarified by that you can only do that while not betraying your ethics and violating your integrity and, and trying to do it all yourself and, and, and so on, right? Like you, you would have to build, it's fine to have like little catchphrases and have that type of pride in what we do and who we are. But I think you first need to refocus the foundation of it. Like you were talking about the creed and maybe even the mission vision guiding principles and, and then doing no, no joke training, which thank God this ELD and like, courses and all that stuff includes a CPO course. But I, I mean, I think there should be a senior chief course. Like, and I know that gets to well, just go to the senior enlisted Academy. Well, okay. There's only, there's a finite amount of throughput there. And so I think it's like a, just a redefinition of, of who we are and, and what we need to be to, for the Navy's mission. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it, I think those things could be good, but I think right now that's just something that people say out loud. And then, like you said, uh, how do we go about meeting a standard that's not well defined and seems unattainable? Yep. And then, because these mantras and these value belief systems can be interpreted differently, it leads to misalignment on things, right? So yeah. Yeah. Just definitely. something as simple as what's said in here stays in here, right? You see that written around. Right? Well, what's that mean, right? So I could, I could put that in the context of the mafia. Right. You know, and then I can put in the context of what I really mean to facilitate, you know. So these are things, frankly, I started writing about in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. I'm like, we, yeah. these things are written down, but it's a great top. That's that's good chief mess training and education, right? So in the CPO Guide, you know, Chapter 8, you know, using CPO mess connection power, talk about, you know, the mess. At the mm-hmm. end of the chapters, these questions, right? So if you imagine pulling out, getting your chiefs together – and the first question is, how well do my fellow chiefs and I work together to manage command-wide requirements and hold each other accountable to the highest standards of warfighting readiness and the expectations captured in the mission vision guiding principles? You couldn't tell me that you couldn't use that for an hour as a, as a function of chiefs mess improvement and, and reflection and go, yeah. okay, have we strayed, right? Are we off right. the tent? Here, here's the thing, though. <laughs> I feel like if I asked 10 chiefs, to list the mission, mission, vision, and guiding principles and give me a short definition of each. Four of them could do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that because I brand new chiefs and I, I, this is just, I'm basing this on experience, not cynicism. Like I've had young chiefs on more than one occasion. A, they're coming up on their first eval as a chief and they've never seen a chief eval. Like they have no idea what's on it. They don't, they don't know what the mission, vision, and guiding principles are. I say it out loud and they're like, what's that? I'm like, oh, how how did you get here without knowing this? And so it's like, okay, so we sit down, we do the training, I run them through it, explain it. Like, okay, here it's it's literally your eval, it's the criteria on which you're evaluated, but it's also all these other things, right? But I I don't think we do a good enough job of training to those things on a regular basis, and that's what 
I think we arrive at these, the situation that we're in now where it's like we're so busy with all the operational commitments and maintenance and all the collateral duties and all the other different demands on our times. Everybody's trying to get college done because that's an expectation. Like they, they have so many demands on their time that by the time they get to, oh, hey, let's do chiefs training. Everybody's like, no, I don't have time for that. Like, It's the same reason why all the command delivered leadership courses were non-existent for so long and why now they're recognizing that they need to stand up these ELD courses that are off of the ship provided by facilitators outside of the command so that they'll actually happen and have some kind of quality built into them. But it, I think that the one of the reasons why I like like you were saying, throw everything on the table, examine the existing structure. What do we need? What do we not need? And how do we need to fix it? But I think a lot of the stuff, if, if we examined our current system, a lot of the things that are there could contribute greatly to the solution that we're ser- that we're searching for if they were properly leveraged right now. And, and I don't know that I can pull a perfect answer out of a hat and just say, Hey, this is how you, you fix that. Because like I said, all the operational commitments are why a lot of messes don't do chiefs training in the mess. Cause they don't have time. They can, when are you going to get everybody together? How are you going to do it? I guess my, the rebuttal to that to myself is, is there's all these, there's all these different mechanisms for that type of recognition where I, like you were saying, chief petty officers guide, sit down and read chapter one, come by when you have time and discuss it with me. And we'll go from there. Podcasts, YouTube, like I, there's so many platforms that can be leveraged nowadays to get that type of understanding of the existing systems that d- I don't feel like exists yeah, that, so, that contributes to those problems. So once again, you got to go left, right? This like if you're in the cheese mess and we're talking about these fundamentals of leadership, it's too late, right? So I was shaped heavily yeah, by right, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, EM2 Mark McClay. So you know, I was growing up as a young dude, you know, third class. I mean, second class petty officers were it for me, right? And I'm not saying so. Chief was around, right? He was at quarters and he was there, always in the office, right? And uh, when I, if if I needed him, right? Because most of the problems I went to were right, right to EM2 McClay, work center supervisor, mm-hmm. right? Or one of my peers, a third or fellow second class. He was a good leader, right? He was a good manager. He kind of led in a way that. You know, I didn't ask to, you know, he didn't seek my liking, nor did I felt like he needed it, but he resonated with me, right? So I think we de-emphasize the importance of second-class petty officers and yeah. and once again, the role, but that's where it has to start. Uh, and once again, this is why I thought it was important, right? Like, hey, we need you know, all this content, the chief petty officer's guide, man, I just need to roll it into the petty officer's guide. We need to start right. there, right? And then yeah. if you, that's where it really starts, Right. So beyond to um, so from the strategic level, right, of re- evaluating all these mantras that the current mess is 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 dealing with, right? To your point, if you're gonna if you're gonna go in there and start blowing that stuff up, you're gonna cause a lot of angst. Or do you go way left and start to you know you start with E five, um, and their eval is aligned to the attributes of what we we expect, right? Right. So should we have a chief eval? That's different, right? No, I I yeah. expect certain attributes out of certain you know that are enduring across the enlisted pay grade so that as an E5, you're introduced to them. They're, they're already developed as a chief and you're just honing them and developing new skill sets that'll make, make you successful. But I think uh, that's a part of it too, is don't push the E5s to the side. Right. That's I, I, heavily. Yeah. I would say, 
like I agree with you. I definitely think it needs to start early. Like I would even go so far as to say that the foundation needs to start getting built at RTC. Like I don't, I don't think that it's, there's a such thing as too early to start, but I also think that like you were saying, if, if you're trying to reprogram the culture of something, it's going to take probably 10 years to just, it's a war of attrition. Like you got to breed it out of the, out of the culture. But I think there's like you were saying, once they're in the mess, it's too late. Like, I don't know if I agree with that because I think that there are a ton of young chiefs that however they got there and whatever their upbringing was and however they were built as they came up and got into that position, I see a lot of them get in there and they're just looking around like, okay, what do I do and how do I do this correctly? And in absence of any guidance, they just start to adapt to their surroundings. They just conform like the, like the nature channel, right? Like they're just yeah. like, Oh, this is what we're doing. Okay. I'm going to do that because that's, I I'm, it's just learning by the example that I see. So I think if, if that type of training was, was proactive and, and rich and, and had those types of things built into it, Maybe, maybe at the upper, like the more experienced chiefs and at the upper echelon, I maybe get five to 10% absorption. I guess I don't know if that's the right word, but, and then as it comes down to the more junior, brand new, freshly pinned chiefs, maybe you get 50, 60%. And, and to change that culture, I think it's, it's worth investing the time and effort into those. And and we had, we are, I mean, we, we've invented an enlisted leadership development course for new chiefs, but I just think that the type of stuff that could happen in the mess that could be guided by those senior chiefs that should be working that hierarchy to to maintain the standards that we think should be happening in there and, and by the CMC level leaders, it's like I, I'm learning stuff every day. I'm learning stuff as we have this conversation. So granted, like that it's because I'm open to doing that and not everyone ever, not everyone is they get validated through promotions and awards as they go up and just decide that like, okay, this is how I lead. And and they're not necessarily going to be open to that kind of criticism or um, new ideas and new ways of doing things. But I think that it's definitely worth the investment. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, one of the attributes I think you want out of a modern cheese mess is it enables and, and, not enables, but encourages and enables, frankly, a, a, a culture of learning, right? But is it an organization that's open to learning, right? Lifelong right. learning, right? So does the current ask the chief, right? And this fact that, you know, once you make chief, hey, you're there, right? There's no more testing. There's no more right. Right, any of those kind of things. Is that good or not, right? I think your generation, because remember, I'm off the field now. So is what we call initiation right for this generation, Right, for your generation, or does it need to become something different, right? Because frankly, we, we keep hanging on to a model that is decades old, right? Um, yeah. From time and a place. So if it needs to be something different, and, and it's not serving what you think you need in the mess, that stuff needs to come up. Because you got a lot of well-intended fleet enforcement ashes out there um, who want to make things better. Many times they don't have that perspective, and they need that feedback. So those are right. things that would shape it as well. Yeah, and we we dove into that a little bit on the last uh, interview that I did with uh, that young chief that I talked to. But it was yeah, I I think that you could use the initiation model for the capstone event and stuff. But I I don't think that the six week cycle adds the value that we still think of that it does because, like you were saying, wildly varying interpretations of what should be happening, what should be getting communicated during that process 
Uh, I, I've been all over the place at this point, and, and I, you have too. And I'm sure you saw just a, like a very different product each time uh, as you went from area to area, region to region, unit to unit, different communities do it. They all kind of do it differently. And I think that if you built that, just like we do everything else as a, like, just give me a master course document, give me IGs, give me learning objectives. Uh, not, and I'm not saying I want to turn it into death by PowerPoint, but if you got to, what do we need to get through to the, to the, to the people being taught? Like, how are we going to do that? How are we going to validate that it worked? What, what's the timeline for that, et cetera? Cause I think there's a lot lost when, chief selects throw on their backpacks and name tags and disappear from the work center for six weeks. There's a lot of faith lost um, by junior sailors watching that happen. Um, There needs needs to and can be a a ton of transparency, but I I think it just needs to get transformed into a more formal leadership development course. It could be owned by NLEC and the ELD curriculum uh, and formalized in that way so that you don't see the wild variances from area to area you don't see these guys disappearing from the work center. You can still build all the heritage and, and culture stuff into it. And then the only thing that, because I think when when we say initiation and we get fired up about losing it, I don't necessarily think that the passion for like maintaining its existence comes from the, the five weeks and six days prior to final night. I think they're talking about the capstone event. They're talking about they want to maintain that. And I think that has a lot of value uh, if done correctly. But it, and I, I think that there's like a, a mental shift that happens during some of those events. But the rest of it, like I, there's a ton that I think it should just be transformed into a formalized enlisted leadership development course. Anybody can go look at the master course document and the IGs and see what we're talking about, um, what the, the training objectives are. And, it, and there's not the, so much mystery because I think a lot of the things that we do, if opened up, uh, it was something me and me and that chief talked about. If we opened up a lot of these events where junior sailors got to see it, like I did my charge book presentation, uh, it, 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 we had a big formation. It was like 150 selects, did all the different units, COs lined up. We were standing there doing it. And it was on the turtle back of a, of a submarine like, uh, you know, on the bases, how they have like airplanes and submarine yeah. pieces. I mean, yeah. So it's like set up like that where it's on the turtle back of the missile deck. They had bricks and stuff built into it now. And they, we were all formed up. It was l- literally like the most public place you could possibly do it. And all these junior sailors are like, what is happening? And they got to sit there and watch as we presented our charge books to the commanding officer for signature. And how many, how many people looked at that and were like, wow, like I want to do that. Like I, that, that just looked at it. Like, that's really cool. I think, yeah. I, and, and basically developed a, a deeper desire to become a chief. I don't know, but I think that I think that opening some of that stuff up to to the eyes of the junior enlisted that think that we're in the woods like druids sacrificing something to the to the chief gods that for them to see some of that stuff uh, to open some of that up and, and get the sunlight on it. I, I I think there's a lot of value to it. Yeah, and uh, once again, if I go around, I know what I think it is. Um, you know the intent of that process, um, right? But how many people know the history of the whole thing, right? So Jim Wushi right. you know, wrote yep. uh, trish, a tradition of Wins change. change. Yeah. You know, CPO yeah. initiations to CPO 365. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, traditional change. I always say winds of change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That one's about the, you know, the I get it confused. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but in one hand, remember, I mean, really this whole concept of, okay, you got selected, you know, now it's time to break you down and friggin' teach how to be a chief. It's like, uh, 
I fundamentally disagree. No. Right. From the day one of boot camp, right, you've been developed and shaped and vetted by chief petty officers and tested and validated, right? So the, the system, heavily influenced by chiefs in the fleet, has said you should be selected as a chief petty officer, right? So right. to go back at the unit level and question all those messes that for, for a decade, if not more, before you have put this person in a position to be selected as a chief petty officer is just off base, right? What you right. are trying to do is socialize them into this new network of the chief petty officers, um, right. and that takes time, right? So that's why we use charge books, right, to go around one-on-one. They're not tools to screw around with people. They're not supposed to be pushed to the end of the process, sitting on a table and signed on final night. That right. book is the tool that new chiefs come to their now-to-be peers to learn about the networking power that they bring and that they offer to the chief's mess. And I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding that that's what it's about. Yeah. Um, and I think at the same time, there's a time to kind of, okay, we're going to revalidate some of these attributes we're going to expect, right? We're going to talk about this reputation of the chief's mess and the legacy you have to protect and why, you know, humility is important and why reliability in a network is important, right? These are attributes of strong peer networks. They're not just, you know, special to the chief's mess as we make them seem, right? And if we knew that and understood, and then the other part, right? So, okay, you're going to wear a new uniform. Let's sit down and talk about it. Hey, there's some protocol that, you know, in, in how we do business in the chief's mess that's different. Here's some things that are going to change. But it, it, I think it's very inefficient. I think it could be done a lot better and still achieve the same results it does. And and remember, it's not just six weeks. And then it goes on that first year, right, of coaching should matter. Yeah. yeah. So, um talking my relief at three fours. It's kind of ironic to watch, right? So you go to the NFL draft, right? These dudes are picked, right? And they're brought in the team. And I've seen examples. He showed me a story where like, I forget it was Tom Brady or whatever quarterback, this, you know, this new draft or new selectee to the football team comes in and it's like a signed Jersey from the veteran quarterback saying, Hey, welcome to the team kind of thing. Under yeah. our model, you would say like, Oh, you ain't worth a damn. You're, you're nothing. Um, we're going to knock you back, right? We're going to kill off the confidence that you've come in this organization with, and then we're going to restart, right? So yeah. I'll talk about that all day, you know, that the current process, if that's the mentality, um, it's not right. And if you have one-off chiefs that are, are they have issues with humility and things like that, once again, let's do some positive discipline here, one-on-one, right? And don't just apply that to the whole group. But once again, I think we're just each year – we do the same thing. New chiefs come in. They just do what they're seeing, and now they're on the other side going, okay, I guess this is all we do. Um, and it never it never gets discussed, uh, and we still are not aligned to what we should be doing and accomplishing with this process. Right. And, and so with the spirit of like we're not aligned to the things that we need to be aligned to in general – like I, based on everything that I've seen, and I'm, I know you've seen it too, because you've had similar conversations is the damage that's been done based on all of like, it's kind of just the conglomeration of all the things, all the issues that sailors have had with leadership for whatever reason, whether it's a bad leader for real, or if it's somebody perceived to be a bad leader because they're still figuring it out. Uh, they're bad at communicating. They're trying to cling to a system that doesn't translate to that generation um, whatever the issue is, there's a large loss of confidence in the mess from the perspective of junior sailors, junior officers, uh, even senior officers from time to time. 
especially as we see disciplinary issues happening on the cover of the Navy Times yeah. and, and it's gone all the way to the McPond level. What is so I guess the the solution to how do we rehab that besides just as an organization? We talked about it already, right? How, like breeding it out of the culture and, and realigning uh, to principles that that fit the, the vision that the, of what the Navy needs us to do as chiefs. But how do we like it, how does CSC on the deck plate rehab that image? How does CSC on the deck plate, you know? Yep. communicate to his junior sailors that you can trust me that I have your best interests at heart and that I am going to do the things that you need me to do to take care of you so you can take care of the mission. Yep. So once again, so let's go back to the power base model, right? So your right. these two power bases, personal power and expert power have to be developed and maintained, right? So we, you know, going all the way back, right? You come in the Navy with a certain belief and value system, right? In many cases, yeah. It's jacked up, right? The things you've seen and done, right? And we introduce you to our fundamental value system, right? Honor, courage, commitment, right? That. So number one, are you aligned to that value system, right? Do you act honorably? Are you committed? And do you act courageously in the interest of your people, right? And what does that mean? So far too often, I think Chief's Mess, quote unquote, training, right? Um, it's not really training. It's actually Chief's Mess education, right? Training is what we do when we run drills and develop reps and sets. Right, right. Memory. That's training, right? So once again, I got the word training thrown out. Anytime we get together, and start throwing PowerPoints yeah. and having a discussion. It's not. <laughs> this is education, right? This is about right. knowledge and learning how to apply it. So part of it is. An attribute of strong personal power is the fact that you're approachable and you have just the conversation you just mentioned, like that you can go to your people and go, hey, you know, I want to be the best chief I can be for you. And, and number one, do you know where you're weak in your personal power? Can you self-assess your expert power, know where you're weak? Uh, and then what are you doing to build it up, right? And sometimes that may mean you got to go to that first class or fellow chief or second class petty officer who knows a hell of a lot more than you do about this yeah. and learn, right? And permission granted to grab a tech manual and go sit in the cheese mess over a cup of coffee right. and read and learn. And when you don't understand something, you call your peer, yeah. hey, show me this thing. Or, or you grab permission a tech granted lab. to go get EMN1 and te- show me how to do this. Yes. Like, I, yeah. Yep. I had to do this a lot, right, as a nuke because I, you know, I, so many different, you know, the fundamentals of nuclear power and the theory applies, but. You go to different like, classes of ships, you know, yeah, it's different like, power plants. Yes. And, I had yeah. always, you know, the people who were signing my call cards were second class and first class petty officers. Yeah. And fellow chiefs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, you know, once again, investing in your personal power, you can't, you got it. If you're a chief petty officer and you think, Hey, I know it all. And I've arrived. That's not a good start, right? That's yeah. indicative of your own personal power. Uh, and people see that. Right. So one thing I would say, here's a, you know, so as a senior chief, right, as an L, you know, as a division LCPO or maybe as a COB, um, one tool you could do is I did this as a division LCPO on Ronald Reagan, right? I pulled in all the sailors, right, when it was time to do chief fit mid or a midterm counseling, by the way. We should be doing that with chiefs too. Um, <laughs> sat down. I had all the sailors. They didn't put their name on it, but I had them fill out a counseling, you know, do the eval blocks and write three strengths and three weaknesses for their chief. And then oh, I, I consolidated it. it all. And holy crap, if it wasn't aligned, it. right? And then I sat down with each chief and I said, hey, oh, and by the way, I did with their peers too, right? So it was yeah, kind of yeah. an early predator of the 360. 360 eval. Yeah. I, I talked to a bunch of uh, 
SEALs and EOD guys when I was a senior enlisted academy about that. They brought it up during a talk and I was like, why don't we do that? Like, yep. that's amazing. Because yep. that would, yeah, that would clarify for a lot of people. I've dealt with during evaluation debriefs, a lot of just people are legends in their own mind. And it's like, if you had your subordinates and peers telling you something totally different. So now I've got 20, 30, 50, 100 people saying something that aligns with their evaluation. Like, how do you argue with that? Yep. But instead, you've got me just sitting there telling you, you're not ready to be a chief and these are the things you need to do to get better. But they have an evaluation from ship that says they're ready to light the world on fire. And it's like, how do I counter that? Well, if I had uh, the peers and subordinates and oh, yeah, I everything about that concept I love. Yep. And then uh, and then when I got done presenting, hey, and you would see consistency, right? The, the traits they saw that were favorable and not favorable were consistent, yeah. right? And you'd have yeah. that, you know, everyone's always worried about, oh, what about that one? Si-? Okay, that's an outlier. You're going to have an yeah. outlier, you know, dismiss that. Right. But once they had that feedback and they digested it, um, my next thing is I want you to go have a conversation with your division about it, right? And 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 give them the feedback. This validates the process, right? That, yeah. hey, you provide feedback. I heard and here's some things um, – Remember that goes against the traditional cheese mess mindset, though, right? Like, yeah. You know, you don't show that, right? That shows weakness, right? Because right. ask the chief, right? I got to know everything all the time, right? Right. It's different, right? That might. It's yeah. It's and, ask and the chief because back, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to take care of you, and I have the mechanisms to do that. Yeah. Like, um, and then, I mean, heck, I'm not gonna go back and question it, but you think every chief back there, back in the day, knew everything about everything all the time? Yeah. Oh. Right now, um, they just presented that image. Yep. So I think those are things you can do, right? You got to invest in that um, and those two power bases. Once again, if people just took time to think about those, right, um, and and then solicit feedback, right? Because your own perception of yourself is not what matters with power bases, right? It's how you're perceived. So right. you might think your expert power is high, but it's not. So once again, yeah. the guides are written to give you feedback and questions for self-reflection for developing and maintaining those power bases. Because what you learn during your leadership development stuff, even six weeks in the shit, it, it's it's not enough, right? Because then you're going to take these concepts, and then you got to apply them in the real world, right? And that is so wrought with, yeah. All, that's why it's called situational <laughs> leadership, right? Because it's so yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah, not, yeah. you can't just so training would say like leadership training would mean like when A happens, do B to get do C B, output. Yeah, yeah. that's it's not, not a flow how it chart. Works. Right. Yeah. You know, different personalities, different situations, different contexts of all these situations. So you got to go out there and, and lead uh, and, and use influence in different situations and, and play around with these. And then part of it is like we talk, touched on this, right? I I would always start the day out, go to quarters, get, you know, make sure everything was executed. And then my my next stop was typically in the cheese mess, sit down with a, a cup of coffee and, and just talk to senior chiefs and fellow chiefs and or just listen to them. Right. And they right, have right. problems. Right. That is another form of education. It doesn't always yeah. have to be muster the mess and put up the PowerPoint slides. Right. Um, right. That is a you know, I, I wonder sometimes I didn't I was never a fan of the CMC that's like, oh, the mess is closed during working. out. You know, no, it's there for now, a reason. The doors no. open. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another thing you do as well. And then, you know, once again, in the aggregate. If each mess can do this over time, right? Because this is all dependent. Some messages are doing really well, and they're yeah. rolling our eyes, their eyes at us right, right. now. Going, what are these guys and, talking and if, about? If but, the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. Yes. Like I'm totally. Fi- I know that there are high functioning messes out there. I've been a part of them. 
like I get it. But like I and that's kind of I usually disclaim it earlier than right now. But like we know we know there's a bunch of chiefs out there killing it. I'm not talking to you. Well, I mean, I am because I want your opinion and feedback and I want you to be continuing to to, to develop and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you so with the with the three? I just wanted to go back to the 360 evaluation piece for a second where you said you sent the chief back to the division to have a conversation with him. Did you ever have any issues with the chief kind of going back and being like, what the, f-? you nope. know, like, nope. no, Cause, never. Okay. Cause that's why, that's why, you know, when number one, you know, I, that's the go between, right. So, you know, the names were never brought out, right. In general, right. right. We talked about right. the good and the bad, right. So it's not just like chiefs all jacked yeah. up. Yeah. Right. Hey, these things are good. We like that you do this. Continue doing this thing, right? And these things need improvement. And the way you present that, the person debriefing that midterm counseling, right? And I only used it for midterm counseling. The, the person debriefing that goes a long way. And then once again, right, that's part of that that uh, relationship building with your people, right? Um, there's a balance, right? I always call it you, you have to be firm but fair. You got to be approachable. That's one attribute of strong personal powers, like – when you come down there, right, there's a balance of that, res- you know, that respect of like, well, Chief's here, you know, it's not too familiar, but at the same time, they know you can just have a good, solid conversation. You can laugh, you can tell jokes, right? If you can, right. that, and not everyone can, right? Some people, yeah. like, they don't, they don't ever have that naturally there. Doesn't mean they still can't survive, right? That they, they can't right. do well, right? Maybe they're, you know, they can manage really well and they can get things done, right? So, um, yeah. You could be a little weak on your personal power, but if your management skills are done, you can organize and get work done and you get them the resources they need and they're out of there on time. Yeah. Chief's a little off yep. and weird, but we don't care because Chief gets He us takes out care of, of us. Right. Yeah. Right. So your management skills matters as well. Yep. Yeah. So the the last thing I was going to talk about was you mentioned it during so so you said like they lined up pretty well when you got the evaluations back, but there'd be like outliers from time to time. Were any of those like, so I, I linked that in my head when you said it to the flow chart mentality of, of like leadership training, where if A happens, do B, the, when they go out there and, and interact with their sailors that are providing these evaluations, do you ever had, did, did you ever get to the point where you could have conversations based on the feedback saying, look, you can't use the same model for everybody. So you need to adjust your leadership style and approach to each individual sailor and their, what motivates them and their personality and et cetera, based on like one of those outlier comments or just trends that you saw or something to that effect where you could, cause I, I noticed young chiefs and even some, some older ones kind of approach it as that type of, of thing. Like, well, this is my leadership style and this is how I do it. And, Seaman A and B don't respond to it, but that's because there's something wrong with them, not because I'm not adjusting to to give them whatever they need to respond. Yeah. I don't know if he went into that level of granularity, really. I think that's, you know, you know once again, I talk about that. I, I specifically pulled that out. That's why we teach senior or uh, teach it at the senior list category, right? Situational leadership's discussed yeah, yeah. there. I hit it up in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. Um, I, so remember, when you're wielding influence – once again, it's not just how you present your influence varies too, right? So, you know, when you're at quarters, boom, there's a, a once one, you know, I'm using a certain influence tactic, but to the whole group. So I'm, I'm doing a carpet bomb approach here, but then you got to be smart enough, right? Hopefully our leadership development 
and conversations like this teach people like, okay, but then you got to be able to assess how the team is going, right? And how when you see individual or collective failures, right, you got to come back in with influence to to adjust, right? So maybe you've got that sailor that's just kind of, you know, you're getting feedback, they're not performing. Um, well, first of all, hopefully your second class or first class petty officer can work that, right? And when they run to the, the limits of their influence, then they come to you, right? And then, okay, right, let's right. pull them aside. Um, but then you got to, that's when you come into that with that precision munition. And I'm not talking about, you know, start friggin' using coercive power, but you start yeah. asking questions about, okay, this is connecting with strong personal power. Like, hey, man, this is not you. What's going on, right? You're right. a member of this team and you're not producing, right? And having these straight up conversations, what's going on, right? And, and if the trust is there and they know, right, this is when the personal problems come out, right? And they feel like they can come to you and you're like, okay, let's resolve that personal issue that's got you distracted. The assumptions you make about struggling sailors as a chief matters, right? And I worry sometimes we just default to they're just slacking, right? They're just freaking yeah. malingering, right? That, you know, they're a dirt bag, right? Well, yeah. yep. have you really stopped to really understand what's going on? Because once again, that's where real success, right? That's where I want chiefs investing time right? to learn right. that stuff. And you'll find like there's usually something, frankly, in the Maslow's hierarchy that's yep. distracting them. <laughs> and making them what we would call resistant to, to influence at that point. Right. But if you immediately go in thinking that, you know, they're just jacked up and they're just being resistance cause you set up the stage for conflict. Right. And remember, it's not just the sailor. Other people are watching this and the rest of the division is watching how you handle this. And I don't think people understand the consequences when they mismanage their leadership and use the inappropriate tactic for the situation. Yeah, I, I have kind of linked to that. I have one last question before we wrap up uh, and kind of, I mean, if you have anything else you want to get out there, we can do that as well. But the, you mentioned you're going to do a podcast soon about mental health and suicide. Um, I did one with a guy named Grant Khan that I'm sure you've seen on social media, but we talked about like, I, I kind of, and I wish I dove more into it, but I, I, I always kind of link a lot of, obviously there's just mental health issues that lead to it that are beyond the control of, of the person and the organization and leadership. And it's, they just, they need to get help. And, and they're kind of like, they're not necessarily a contributing factor. It's just like a, it's a, it's a health issue. Um, but leading to that, so a lot of times what I see is sailors degenerate to the point of mental health issues and suicidal ideations or, or attempts based on poor leadership or what they perceive to be poor leadership or some kind of interaction with leadership over a period of time. And I know there's been a lot of public stories uh, recently about uh, some of the issues that at, at the statistics and some of the instances where there's like the young man and so I think he was in Oceana that um, walked into a prop of a, of a plane. Um, it, what... What link do you see to leadership specifically? Because that's that's the part that I've always been curious about. And kind of as I have conversations with people, I kind of feel like I'm the only one that's like thinking about it this way uh, is that a lot of it is driven by their interactions with leadership, how they perceive them to care or not. uh, If they feel like a leader's out to get them, if there's a lot of like psychological stress, because in my head, the way that I think about it is everything we do is just amplified to this really high level. Like everything we do is incredibly stressful by nature. Like we, we 
are sure we're working and it's a job and we're getting a paycheck. Got it. But there's all these things that happen and all these interactions and exchanges that exist and the interpersonal relationships and communication all happens in this weird environment where everything's amplified and the, the just like the stress of the environment, it, it just... It, I think we like almost like skip steps or or the stress level spikes a lot faster and a lot harder because of the environment that we do our job in. It's just the nature of what we do. So what do you see as like the link between leadership and those types of, of issues that sailors have and what can leaders do better based on what you've seen to, to try to not just identify early and, and refer them to mental health professionals, but what can we do to maybe get back to the very beginning and, not arrive at that situation in the first place. Yep. So believe it or not, I'm going to, I'm going to move away from leadership here and I'm going to talk about management skills, right? So I think this is what happens, right? So chiefs are managers. We stop calling. We all love to say, Oh, technically no, you're managing, right? You're planning, you're organizing resources, you're directing and you're controlling. Meaning you're going, you're throughout that process. You're walking around to make sure you're monitoring, right? Um, You're doing that. You know, that's what we do. We manage maintenance. We manage operations. We manage deployment cycles, right? So if you're a chief, you know, so first of all, I would say, how well are you managing the division, right? Yeah. Um, how well are you planning things? Are you organizing, right? And this includes everything, right? And then you sub- subdivide it, right? So to meet things, right? So managing the leave plan, managing the watch yeah. bill, right? These are all things. And how you organize those resources, Especially when you're now, I, I will say in the submarine force where you're from, I think you guys are manning compared to the surface fleet is pretty healthy. From my experience at fleet forces, okay. definitely the boomers are probably one oh, when yeah. it comes to manning, right? So yep. you don't struggle, I think, with manpower, you know, because that really gets into the organizing function, right? Um, it really makes you have to organize differently. When you don't have the manning you need, yeah. the organizing function becomes very difficult. And it pressurizes the execution piece, right? So first of all, it's like, okay, how are you planning, organizing, and using your your resources, primarily your people resources, right? And understanding that, you know, you're managing several different evolutions simultaneously. So you might be in the planning process for one thing, you're organizing resources for another, you're executing for another, um, and then you're controlling and following up. So being mindful of your management skills and the impact that has, right? So if I'm not planning and organizing well, if people are coming to work and wanting to get things done and they're just hanging around, right? They're getting the run yeah. around and they're feeling, you know, you've, I've seen that before and you're like, man, freaking we're always, you know, hanging out here late. That adds up, right? So I don't think it's one thing necessarily. It's this, this pile on, right? You add another room right, into right. the boat, boom. And then, so another thing is, your emotional intelligence skills, right? So yeah. you sense that tone of your division, right? So um, that divisional climate, there is a thing called divisional climate too. It's all just command climate, right? So how you lead and manage shapes an attitude, right? And what the people believe about your leadership shapes their attitude, which we call climate, right? So when you look at that, are you, do you have the emotional intelligence, the sense like, okay, People are pressurized, you know, you know, as well as I do, you, when you're in an audience or talking to people that they're not buying into you, you can see the eyes, you can see a lot of body gesturing that, man, they're not bought in or something's off. Right. And then once you see that, what do you do about it? Right. So once again, you default on the chief to shut up and get it done. Or do you come in with a more mature approach and go, okay, what's going on? 
right? And you solicit I heard, yeah. feedback. I hear a lot of those stories where it's like a shut up and get it done, where yeah. like the sailor's struggling struggling with a bunch of things, and it, it's the decision-making process is probably related to manpower, and I don't got time for this because everybody's stressed out. Everybody's got a ton of demands on their times. It's like the sailor comes to the chief with a concern that's, that involves them not being at work or not catching a watch or whatever, and they're just like, no, or shut up and get back here or whatever. And it's like, I have a, a legit medical issue that I need deal need to deal with. And they're telling me to shut up and get back to work or I'm struggling mentally. And they're telling me to shut up and get back to work. And I've had a lot of stories relayed to me from junior sailors that are in that vein. And it's like, I try to like think about what was, what was the mentality of that chief or supervisor at the time? What was happening? What was the context? Because I, I find it really hard to believe that, there's that many people in those positions out there that are just evil, you know, (laughs) like they're not doing it because they hate you. They're doing it because they're mismanaging people and they're mismanaging resources and they're stressed out too. And, and there's a lot of things going on that contextually you're not, you're not going to see from where you're at. So, and then understanding once again, you know, back to power and influence, right? Understanding that you've got a whole tool bag of influence tactics you should be using. So if you're defaulting right away to, threats and pressure tactics, right. you need to go, okay, why am I doing that, right? Because you should easily be able to re- rely on, you know, more less coercive tactics, you know, rational persuasion, inspirational appeals. There's, there's more positive forms of influence that you use first always. But context matters, right? So, yeah. you know, many cases, the things we need day to day do not solicit or do not warrant the shut up and do it because I told you to. Right. Because it's so right. time critical, right? Almost um, never. Yeah. So, but if you're patrolling, you know, close to, you know, crushing, well, you wouldn't be patrolling across stuff, but if you're there, right, and something goes on, there's a time and a place when I'm going to give orders, training's going to kick in, I don't have time to explain why, just do it, right? Um, and yeah, then all day when you get pushback, I'm all about the chief, you know, shut the F up and do it, right? Because now crew's survivability is at, at But if you default to that on day to day as your leadership style, you're just setting up, once again, conditions that, um, in a climate that's that's just going to lead and pressurize. Um, right. And I don't think you lose much when, when you do do that. I don't think you lose much when you then when situation like this, when it resolves itself, you then go back and explain, hey, this is what was going on there. You know, like that. I didn't have time to explain it to you, but this is why we did what we yep. did. And this is why I needed you to act immediately and not ask questions. Yep. Um, some of the best I'm telling you, like when I look back at it, right. So the, you know, if you want to know what good personal power looks like, um, you always go back and think about who are the chiefs that I really felt fond of, per se. You know what I mean? Like, right. And they were always, you know, approachable. They were communicative. They they generally cared. Kingsbury, what's going on? You know, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I had I could go to them with a problem, you know, um, and I'm not saying they were all necessarily all it, but they had that balance, right? It was almost like it was – very natural, right? They knew, yeah. you know, you still respected them as the chief, but at the same time, they set the conditions that I could approach them, right? Um, or to be just like, hey, Kingsbury, get in here, slack butt, you know, not seriously, <laughs> but like, hey, what's yeah, going yeah, on yeah. with your claws, right? And like, oh, I'm on this, this right? And kind of that yep. back and forth banter is what you look for, and that connection's developed. And the other thing is like, they knew their stuff, right? So it was like, oh man, senior chief knows, man, that's the dude, right? Or, hey, you know, let's see if she, she's the expert on this and she's go-to, right? So when I need help, I can go to them. It sounds fundamental, but there are others out there. Um, and then once again, 
the collective Chiefs mess as a whole, when you see that you've got Chiefs in the mess that aren't doing that well, what are you doing in a proactive way to pull them aside and go, what are you thinking about? Because I'm hearing, you know, once again, every Chief, you mentioned this on the last podcast, right? You don't just own your sailors, right? I own all the sailors on the ship, all the spaces, all the officers. So when you sense like, or you're hearing like a division bashing their Chief, okay, right? Kind of this mess has to come together and go, this is not good. And, and kind of, you know, because once again, um, mm. that piece of war fighting readiness that that division owns, every division cares about it, right? Um, right. That's where the team kicks in and, and chiefs should swoop in and then it, with positive discipline first, give some coaching and go, hey, and if they're not receptive, then you go to maybe some peer tactics. Like, okay, if you don't want to listen to me one-on-one, maybe we need to get the LCPO here and start to bring in the hierarchical structure. Right. And, and not so much like coaching and positive discipline. Now we're going to get a little more prescriptive and go, oh, no, we're not. You need a change. Right. Because you are not producing results that are favorable to the warfighting readiness. Right. Last thing to, that I'll bring up. And, and, and then if you want to wrap anything else up, we can. Can you talk more about. So U.S. Naval Institute as an organization, like what does it offer to active duty sailors that are listening? Like how can they engage that platform? maybe a little bit more about proceedings and the essays and stuff like that so that, so that they can uh, get involved and get engaged. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity to push it out. So I learned uh, the more, now that I've retired, it's not just Naval Institute. So it's, there's all kinds of these, you know, we're an Institute, we're not an association, right? And I'll explain a little bit of the difference, but, but any of these organizations, whether it's surface Navy association, submarine league, tail hook, Navy league, you know, Society for Human Resource Managers, Career Counselor Symposium, they all have three general lines of effort now that I'm paying attention to them that they're actually after. So number one, there's an arm of advocacy, right? So they're advocating for something, right? They're usually advocating to use their influence and their access to resources and their membership to make that area of expertise stronger, right? Right. So Surface Navy Association is after making sure for a strong surface Navy, submarine league, same thing. Navy or the Naval Institute, we don't advocate for something specific, right? We're nonpartisan independent forum, but we provide this forum, this space of debate for any Naval professional officer enlisted or civilian to come in and offer their thoughts on how they can make their, their profession better, right? Their rating better, their Navy better, the Marine Corps, their Coast Guard better through writing, through podcasting, through whatever it is, you know, a blog. That's what we do, okay? Um, that's the advocacy arm that we offer. So, um, yes, far too often these organizations, you know, they were a product of, you know, professional-minded officers, right? And enlisted really didn't have the interest in them, nor did they probably have the intellectual capacity back then, now we do, right? Much more educated, much more influential, much more aware. And you haven't, frankly, you shouldn't just be aware of, but you have an obligation to bring all that forward and contribute to the space to make your Navy or Naval forces better. The second thing the Naval Institute offers, like many do, is you know, support with professional development, right? So if I'm a young enlisted or a young officer, get my, I want to make my career better, what do we offer? Many organizations will offer certifications. They'll offer, you know, different degrees or scholarships. Um, what we offer is mostly through the press, right? So the, the professional guides that we publish, once again, those are the ones I talked about. We've got them on the officer yeah. and the enlisted side. And there's yeah. so many books on history. Proceedings Magazine has professional articles, right? So it's not just about writing about what's wrong. 
It's also, you know, there's professional notes on how people are doing things right. There's leadership articles. So you can learn and through venues like this and others, um, you can have exchange of ideas and become hopefully a better leader and a better manager through the content and the access to information we provide. And the third thing they provide is access to a network, right? So got it, you know, as a Navy chief, you're in this worldwide network of chief petty officers, but that shouldn't be the only professional network you're a part of, right? Um, networking within your, your warfare community is important. Networking, remember, these aren't just active duty people. These are retired folks too. So these are people you're going to want to know when you're getting ready to retire looking for a job, you know? <laughs> so that networking power extends outside of the chief's mess, but they do that, or if you're retired and no longer actively in that profession, it's a way to stay connected and read about what's you know going on. So, for those people that are retired, you know, through all our content we generate, you stay informed about what's going on, you know, and and stay uh, connected to that service that you're a part of. So, those are the things that the Naval Institute offers. So, I invite sailors to you know, first of all, follow us on Facebook, um, yeah. see the content that's coming out, and then get on the web page and check it out. And you'll see, you know, that's the value that we offer. Um, and then ultimately, when you find that value and you're like, okay, I get it. And this is something I want to I want to be a part of and I want to enable. Then then that brings membership, right? So membership isn't right. about, hey, I get a, a magazine and a keychain or whatever, you know, you get offered. It's about your membership helps enable the, this organization, right? Because all of them have bills to pay. Right. It takes money to produce a magazine. It takes money to pay salaries. Right. Uh, this stuff doesn't. Right. So just like PBS, right, if you're a fan of PBS and the content they generate, eventually you're going to be like, man, this is important to me. I value what it does and I'm going to contribute through my membership. And those are the things I would offer. So for now, I'm big into, hey, just be aware what the Naval Institute is. Check out what we do. Explore what membership offers. But it's about enabling the form and raising awareness. Uh, and how that can make you and your Navy better. Right. And then where can people follow you personally? Cause I know you had your, you have a, the YouTube channel. Um, what else do you got? Yeah. So I've got, uh, I mean, I've got my, you know, my personal Paul Kingsbury Facebook page and then I've created a YouTube channel, Paul Kingsbury that goes right now. It's, it's kind of a, you know, just like the podcast, I'm kind of playing around with, Hey, if I did, Oh, I'm sorry. I think I'm up to five or six right now, but they're, right. they're short videos, relatively 20 minutes that go with chapters of the chief petty officer's guide. I'm kind of behind in my content, actually, I can catch <laughs> up. but I, I tend to do one with the petty officer's guide, you know, on both sides. And then eventually I want to, you know, start bringing in, you know, like guests Guess, and we yeah. talk about like, you know, tactics that, Hey, I talk about these kind of theories and, you know, the model of power and influence. Now let's talk about how it looks in reality, how, how you can screw it up. How it, how it can work well. So I'm starting to play around with those videos. Um, and then under the Naval Institute, I do co-host the Proceedings Podcast um, with our enlisted focus. So I'm, that's another one, right? So follow the Proceedings Podcast on SoundCloud and Spotify um, yeah. and, and you know, most of the suite of podcast material. I'm going to start spinning off some of that you know, um, on my own as well. But awesome. uh, that's where I'm at right now. Awesome. Well, let me know if you need help with that. I'm, I, you'd think I'd be more of a technical expert on like the, like we had our technical issues at the beginning of this one too. Uh, you'd think I'd know more about the stuff by now, but I'm still learning as I trial and error my way through this project. But, um, but yeah, man, that, so unless you got any save rounds, you got anything else you want to throw out there? No, thanks again. You know, you know awesome. let's keep these discussions going, bringing other perspectives 
and then bring in the dissenting perspective too, right? So Definitely. they hear us, yeah. you know, what's the pushback or not pushback, yeah. but what's yeah. the other side of it. And then I think that's what it's all about. Remember, it's not an absolute. It's, it's the yeah. someone will take something from both sides. For sure. And I think people think I'm kidding when I'm like, like I want any and everybody to come on the podcast and have conversations about any and everything. Like if you think I'm a complete idiot and you want to you want to oppose every single thing I've ever said, hit me up. We can do it. Like I'm down to have any conversation. Um, I think there's perspectives and things to be learned from everybody at every level. Uh, and I think those conversations be conversations will be super interesting uh, to bring on like a junior sailor that thinks chiefs are idiots. Sign me up. Hit yep. me like send me an email. Yeah, people Facebook just, message me. Yeah, people just need to realize, you know, one of the things, you know, when they come to podcasts and article, I always tell them like, hey, you're not writing this as Petty Officer Jones or Chief Smith, right? right. You're writing this as as you who happens to be that. Um, right. And even on a podcast, normally I'm going to put that disclaimer. This doesn't represent the views of the Navy, you know, kind of. Yeah. We all know that it's about, you know, that's the, you know, the, the, the protected space of the form of the Naval Institute is one of those ways that, hey, you know, let's have these, you know, you know, I don't just need a, a, a snarky, you know, five word social media post. You know, I want right, you a well right. thought out 500 to 1500 word article that gets people, yeah. you know, engaged in a conversation. And then. Let's take it into the podcast space and let's take it into a panel in a fleet concentration area and really get into it. So people don't need to be afraid of this when they're offered the opportunity. Yeah. And I definitely like the one of the reasons why I don't put names on it unless that person wants me to is is for that exact reason. Like it's just like Reddit. I don't want you to have any fear of any blowback or reprisal or anything like they don't even need to know your name, man. Just come on and have a conversation with me. So that was kind of one of the reasons I was hoping to disarm them a little bit and just be like, look, there's no pressure. No one's even going to know it's you. I just want the content of the conversation. I want you to come have that conversation with me without having any worries about it. So and and to be unguarded in in, in your sharing of your opinions uh, it's just like, I want you to tell me what you actually feel about this. Like, what do you actually think? Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Don't say what you think anybody else wants to hear. I want to know what you actually think because that's where you get the the good stuff. You get yep. the lessons. So, well, awesome, man. Uh, thanks. I'm glad we finally got this done. Uh, I'll start editing uh, here in a minute and yep. just get this thing up tonight and and get it out there. And and it's funny because when I posted the last one, you're like, man, that's pretty long. Guess how many, Guess how long we've been doing? Yeah, right I know now. it's gone. <laughs> yep. Well, the yeah, whole time I was like, we're probably going really long. Um, yeah. But if people are if people are okay with it, you know, um, yeah, we'll see what it does. So, yeah, it's definitely the longest ones I've done has been these these last two. But I, the conversation's over when the conversation's over is kind of how I feel about it. So, so uh, try to. I would also, you know, you know, I mentioned about generations. I'm like, go find her. I mean, so a lot of the times the retired dudes are the ones that are like very critical of the modern cheese mess. I'd like to yeah. hear their perspective of like, okay, for sh- yeah, for you know, sure, yeah, um, I, yeah. I'm gonna probably that I, I have this really long mental list of all the people I want to like seek out because I I reached out to a bunch of I, I reached out to an army. Sergeant Major, that's a friend of mine that retired. I, re- I reached out to a Air Force Master Sergeant that's retiring soon, a Marine Corps uh, Master Guns that retired. That was a buddy of mine yep. that had gone through the Chief season in Iraq, which was even better. So I'm trying to get those perspectives to kind of address like what are the differences between how Chiefs do it and how uh, other services do it. But yeah, that's a that's a great one because I had I had a really good conversation a few different times. But one specifically, I went to um, I was doing Cobb calls. I had to go to the Navy College office 
Turns out the the lady that was working there was a retired senior chief that made chief in the early 90s. Uh, and so like we had a long conversation about what it was like to be a chief in the 90s. And I was like, this is super interesting. Yep. And so, yeah, having having those types of conversations would be really cool. So, yeah. Hey, retirees, if you're out there, besides the one I'm talking to right now. Absolutely. <laughs> definitely love to have a, a long conversation about the, how it was different. Yep. Um, because I, I had a CMC that. Um, he was my cob at the time, but he was a he was a CMC. It was his third cob tour. He was approaching thirty years, and I mean, he'd been around forever. Uh, and we had some conversations about like his chief season and what it was like, and it was interesting. Yep. So yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Keep it up, and then, uh, like I said, uh, yeah, I'll look for maybe an opportunity. Um, think about throwing something together. We could do a blog real quick if you want. For sure. One. Those are shorter, definitely. more time. I mean, and I'll bring you on the proceedings yeah. podcast. For sure. I'll do that. We can do this again. I'm open to everything, man. Uh, any, as long as like I, I juggle a lot of flaming chainsaws with still being on active duty, but yeah, definitely we'll make time and figure that out. All right, guys. I, I really, really hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed having the conversation. Uh, I get a lot out of the conversations and the interview style episodes. I learn a lot as those conversations transpire, uh, the different perspectives and approaches and, uh, the the big I really enjoyed the big picture type uh, approach that uh, that Paul had on a lot of the issues. Um, I I definitely think I think we touched on everything. I think there's always going to be more to this conversation, uh, and I'm very interested to have that conversation. My kind of next approach to this conceptually is get a hold of uh, senior NCOs from other services. I've reached out to some friends of mine who. I'm waiting on their schedules to clear up uh, or still working on making some of those relationships uh, happen. Uh, but if you're interested in having conversations about anything and also provide feedback on what we just talked about and anything else, uh, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast or DM us on Instagram at DGS podcast. Uh, hit us up. If you want to be on talk to me. If you want to criticize what we just said, talk to me. Uh, I'm really open to any type of feedback, any type of conversation. I would very, very much like to engage with all of you to the maximum extent possible. Uh, even if you just want to present a topic, I, I talked to uh, the last guest prior to this one uh, about taking ownership of an episode, right? Like if you're a subject matter expert on something and you want to have like a round table with some other people, record it and send me the file and I'll present it as an episode. I'm more than down for that. Any, any real way that I can get people involved, I would really like to do that. So, uh, feel free to reach out. And then if you want to support us, uh, we've got lots of bills to pay <laughs> this, this uh, subscription fees and website and all that stuff's not free. So, uh, go to dgutspodcast.com slash shop. You can get cool stuff in return for your support, right? We've got t-shirts, stickers, magnets, pins, all kinds of fun stuff. You get something cool and you help uh, us keep the lights on. Not a for-profit enterprise. I want to stress that all the money gets reinvested in the podcast, but just helps us pay the bills, not out of my pocket. <laughs> so if you'd like to do that, uh, please, please support us. Um, if not, it's totally fine. Uh, I will continue to do this regardless. And then check out the U S Naval Institute. Uh, it's a great resource. It's a, it's a, an environment where the conversations that I'm so hungry for are had on a regular basis, right? Uh, junior sailors all the way up to senior officers write articles, have conversations. There's forums for, for pretty much everything. They do a podcast, all kinds of fun stuff. Get involved, check them out. A lot of it's free. And then if you want to become a member, you can become a member and get access to all kinds of cool content. Um, there's other benefits as well. 
you get the proceedings magazine in the mail. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I use the app primarily just cause it, I have my phone with me everywhere I go. So when I have time to read some articles, I can just pull it out and, and do that, but check it out. It's a great platform. It's a great way for you to get involved in the discourse, to have the conversation, to be someone that is actively involved in solving problems, having conversations that are going to develop the way that we do things in the future. That's the whole point of the U S Naval Institute as a concept, right? That's why they do what they do is they, they needed a forum to have conversations like, like these that we have on this podcast. Uh, and it's, it's a really, really, really great organization. So check that out. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs> 